Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, December 12, 843-661-0937. Our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Hope you're feeling a little better. A little bit. I mean, I don't have any call. Anyway, I'll be fine over here. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> You'll be fine. Over- see, you don't like what it. But I bring a big handful of cough drops. Josh walks in. Hey, I don't have any. Can I have some of your cough drops? Oh, oh I see that, what happened That's there. exactly how it went down. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Greg. I, I, good morning. I, I thought maybe you were going to be concerned because you've been nursing this lingering deal for about two weeks, and uh, I thought with the attention on Josh now being the one who's under the weather that uh, you didn't like the attention being shifted to no, I mean, I Josh. Attention. I mean, I, if, I, if I want attention, I'll get attention. I'll rest assured I can do that. I'm pretty good at that. And, and I'm going to knock on wood right here because so far I've avoided getting whatever it is you guys have had. So. Yeah. So it's, far, it's just you always sound like this. It, it, it lingers. Thanks. That's all I'll tell you. Yeah. It's not um. It's not deathly. Uh, by it's not um. Whatever. It's not severe. It, just, it's just, it lingers. Did I not tell you or that when you, when you, you first did, started you feeling did. symptoms? And I didn't believe it. I yep. said three or four days, I'll be good to go. Week and a half. I mean, it took about a week and a half to get all that just just crap out of my system. Um, eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. There, there are set, we're going to be serious today. I mean, we've got serious okay. political issues and topics to cover and discuss. Um, remember when, um, uh, several weeks back, the popular governor of Iowa, uh, excuse me, yeah, Iowa, uh, endorsed Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. um, one of the evangelical, one of the prominent evangelical leaders in Iowa endorsed Ron DeSantis. DeSantis celebrated um, having visited 99, all 99 of Iowa's um, counties, it was kind of the, um, I mean, it was the trifecta. You get the endorsement of Kim Reynolds, the popular governor. You get the endorsement of the prominent evangelical leader in Iowa, which about a third of the voters in the Republican caucus in Iowa consider themselves evangelical Christians. Um, and then you get the, um, the celebration of having been to all 99 um, counties DeSantis, as a result of all that positive activity, went up three points in the polls. Nikki stayed status or static. Um, DeSantis goes up three. Trump goes up eight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 the, the caucus is January 15. In the Des Moines Register poll released yesterday out of the mainstream media, Trump at 51, DeSantis at 19, um, Haley at, I think, 16. Uh, was her number. It's over. But let's just stop the nonsense of trying to figure out a way to make this competitive. It's over. I didn't say the general's over, but the Republican primary is over. I text with our good friend and frequent guest, Robert Cahaley, yesterday, and um, and I'll read it verbatim because Robert basically said, first time he has said this, and then, you know, those guys are real careful to be in, you know, the inevitable. You, you, your radio show guys like to say <laughs> inevitable. I'm not going down that road. Um, there's no way Trump doesn't win the primary, Robert. There's lots of ways, but it's very unlikely. That's, that's, I mean, yeah. that, that's giving yourself cover. Right. Um, and he's right. I there's mean, lots of, well, give me a way. I mean, well, give me well, a way well, that Trump doesn't win the primary. That's what I'm saying. Well, well you, there's you, lots of ways, right? but it's very unlikely. Well, th- there may be something we don't know of that is up the sleeves of his opponents. Okay. Uh, now, I know, you know, he's, the, the, he's already been indicted back, 91 times. What, what, and, what do the experts say? There's lots of ways. The only way I can come up with is some, you know, health failure. 
I mean, if he were to have the heart attack or he would have a stroke or uh, I don't know if that hurts him that much, you know, with, with the guy we got in the White House, you got, you know, um, fiscally and mentally diminished against fiscally and mentally um, diminished. I'll tell you what's the richest thing I've heard recently. Joe Manchin is 76. Joe Manchin says Donald Trump is too old. <laughs> Trump that. is 77. I guess that's that fine line. Yeah. You know, 76, yeah. not too old. 77 uh, being too old. But, you know, when, when Robert says there's lots of ways, but it's highly unlikely, there aren't lots of ways. I understand being guarded and measured and careful and, and don't put your, um, don't put the, the horse ahead of the buggy and don't count your eggs before they hatch. I understand all of that. I get it. I, you know, anything can happen. The question I'm posing is what can, but if you're saying what Robert says, I, you never yeah. know, man, anything can happen. Well, I'm, so what can happen? Well, I mean, um, unless he has some major health failure, what can happen to stop Trump, Trump from winning? Because Rev, I was not his best state. Well, true. I mean, if you're going to whip Trump, you need to do it in Iowa. I mean, what if, what if he was convicted in it one of these trials? It doesn't matter in the next month. Well, in the next, I mean, well, the pri- well, the primaries win of the prime win. Eighty percent of the delegates will be decided by March. Well. Jack Smith yesterday asked for an expedited hearing or a ruling on this. Remember when Trump basically, when Trump got accused of all the um, meddling in elections and influencing elections and, I mean, forget inciting an insurrection, the the meddling in elections, some of the election interference, that would be a better way to say it, the election interference lawsuit, the the majority of of, of lawsuits or crimes, um, charges in Washington, D.C., center around January 6th. Election interference. So remember when the judge said that Trump has to stand trial, um, some of the protection from presidential immunity doesn't apply here, and Trump appealed it. Well, Jack Smith doesn't believe the appellate court will hear it quick enough and expedite it quick enough, so he circumvented the appellate court's um, authority yesterday by doing something that has hardly ever been done in American justice, and that is to basically not be patient and wait on the appellate court to decide because because the the judge an anti-trump judge in washington i mean imagine that uh, an anti-trump judge in washington but but the judge when the trump legal team pled its case that the president has immunity in other words while i'm president i pretty much do anything i want i mean i can't rob a bank kill somebody but some of these um some of these unnatural laws i can do kind of what i want um, now there's some precedent with Nixon. I went back and read last night. Some of the, um, some of the Nixon strategy was the same. I don't have to turn these tapes over. I can do what I want. I'm the president. Uh, but he didn't immunity didn't apply there. So, so in Washington, Trump is being charged with election interference. So I think there are four different variations of that charge, but it's election interference. And Trump said, I can't interfere with the election when I'm the president. I have immunity. I can say and do anything I want. I mean, once again, as long as I don't rob a bank or kill anybody, I mean, I can kind of sort of do what I want to. I can make it up as I go if I so choose. And the the courts in Washington, the lower-level courts, said, no, you can't. Now they're an anti-Trump judge. So Trump asked the appellate court for a decision. That basically slow walks it. I mean, it could take a good while. The wheels of justice grind slowly or turn slowly. Um so yesterday, Smith, I think, got concerned about the appellate court taking longer 
than he's comfortable with. So we went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has decided, yeah, we'll take it up. I mean, we'll take it up and make a decision. They're not deciding whether Trump interfered with the election or not. They're just deciding whether the blanket immunity that Trump says applies to the presidency applies. I don't think it does. I mean, I, you know, I think there's legitimacy to their to their charges. I mean, I don't think he's guilty. I don't. I don't think you know if a if a judge if a judge and a jury give Trump fair treatment, which is highly unlikely in in our nation's capital and in Georgia. I mean, some of the cases in Georgia center around. That's kind of wild. Some of the cases in Georgia, you know, <laughs> right. center around election interference. But the majority of his issues, I think. I think most people are beginning to agree that the New York case is bogus. I mean, that's nonsense. I think most Trump voters believe that he mishandled classified information and maybe even have obstructed justice. The the election interference cases in Georgia and Washington are going to be the most interesting cases to watch themselves um, play out. So yesterday, um, Special Prosecutor Jack Smith, or uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith, asked the court to render a quicker decision. The court agreed to hear it. I mean, the court said, okay, um, you've got until December, is it 20th? It might be Monday. Uh, 17, 18, 19, uh, might be Wednesday, Wednesday of next week. Uh, anyway, they gave him a date, a drop dead date of having basically your file delivered to the court. You know, your, your arguments delivered, um, to the court that that'll be kind of interesting to watch the Supreme court make a decision instead of the appellate court on whether Trump can indeed stand trial in Washington. I don't think this applies to the Georgia cases. I mean, I think there's still election interference. Remember the phone call. You know, can you help me find some more votes? Um, I mean, you take that literally or figuratively. I, that's interpretation of a judge and a, and a jury. But none of this matters, Rev. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the trials, the convictions. the. Um, well, and part of it, too, is I don't want to get, you know, overconfident. I'm just not going to sit here and say it's so inevitable because... We, I didn't we, say the presidency. I, I know you're talking about the, the primary. The primary. I get it. I get it. And and I'm with you. I mean, it's it's it, the lead is insurmountable by, you know, if you look at statistics and numbers, right? Everything that could go DeSantis's way went his way in a state that Trump's not real strong in. I know. I, I'm not arguing that. It's, it's uh, Trump is getting 70% of the, of the voters in Iowa who say they've never caucused before. They're going to caucus for the first time. Trump gets 70% <laughs> of that vote. It's incredible. It's stupid. I mean, it, something's going on here. It might be, I might be in a cult and don't know about it. I mean, there, there's something crazy happening in American but, but I just politics today. His opposition is so motivated, as they always have been ever since he came down the elevator, right? I just don't put anything past them. Something we haven't thought of yet. Kill him. That, that could be, well, Kill know, him. without saying it. I mean, Tucker said it. Yep. I'm going to assassinate the guy, have him killed. I mean, I don't I know. Mean, they, they have said there's how many people have gone on the record and say we, we cannot let him be president well, I mean, again. Everybody not in Trump's army. Yep. I mean, everybody that's not a, an America first Republican have said similar things to that. I think they're we got to stop this guy some of, way, somehow. I think they're capable of anything. Well, I mean, if they're capable of that, obviously he doesn't win the presidency. I mean, if the, if the never-Trumpers are capable of killing the guy, and I think it's interesting Tucker would ask that question at, 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 in, in the first five minutes of the interview he did uh, with President Trump. The point I'm trying to make is, and listen to me real quick, and then we'll take our, our first break. Governor Kim Reynolds endorses DeSantis. 
the 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 Vanderplat, you know, one of the prominent evangelical, probably the most prominent evangelical. DeSantis does what a lot of candidates don't do, visited every single county. He gets a three-point bump for all that good work. And that's good work. I mean, that's good politics. In the in the logic of yesterday, in the logic right. of the past. I like that. I mean, that matters. It matters tremendously. Um, I mean, the Trump campaign would say, hey, uh, the prominent evangelical, the governor, and DeSantis has been in all 99 counties. Counties, We better get to, we better get to Iowa. I mean, we, we've been AWOL a bit. We've been absentee. We better get to Iowa and really work to kind of solidify our, um, our, our block of voters. Trump has not been to Iowa, but twice since the endorsement of Kim Reynolds, since the endorsement of the evangelical leader, since DeSantis announced he went to 99 counties, DeSantis gets the three-point bump. Trump goes up eight. He's at 51% in one of the weakest counties that he'll play in. Uh, I, I looked at New Hampshire. He's surging in New Hampshire. I mean, not anywhere like he did. The Des Moines Register is kind of the gold standard. I mean, it's not some of these polls that so some of the companies that do polling are better at national polling than they are statewide polling. The Des Moines Register has never done a national poll. They would be considered the gold standard in uh, in Iowa polling, and they've got him at fifty-one. DeSantis at nineteen. Haley at sixteen. And when I saw that, I mean, as, as somewhat of a student of politics and a former candidate and office holder, I'm like, wow. I mean, I suspected Trump to be at 44. I expected, I expected DeSantis to be at 27 or 8. I mean, I, I knew Nikki was trying to play more in New Hampshire than, than uh, Iowa. DeSantis has basically invested his entire political livelihood in Iowa, and, and he got a little bump. But he got less than half what Trump did. And that's just that's crazy to me. There, there's, there's more energy in 2024. This would be a better question for Haley, and I don't know how pollsters measure this, it seems to me that there's a a larger and more intense universe of support for Donald Trump in 24 than there was in either 16 Mm -hmm. or or 20. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. There's a lot of reading to these polls. It's kind of interesting to me. Uh, We're beginning to get a lot of polls, and it really increased after, after the first of the year. But I went back yesterday and looked at um, once again, Iowa. Iowa's not Trump's best state. It's not going to be his best state, but he's at 51%. DeSantis at 19, Haley at 16. Go to the Trafalgar poll that was released at Fitzrack on Friday. Um, Trump at 49, uh, Haley at 23, DeSantis at 14. Let's go to New Hampshire real quick and see these first three states. Trump at 46, Haley at 19, Christie at 11. DeSantis at 7.8. I mean, I understand what Robert's saying. Nothing is for sure. I get that. Don't count your your chickens before they hatch. I certainly understand understand that. But when you say there are several things that can happen, I can't come up with but one. And that's he's not here any longer. He's not a candidate any, any longer. All of these decisions, I mean, you're talking about convictions. I don't believe it matters. I mean, I, I don't believe in the that primary. people right. have baked the majority. I don't know if it matters in the general. That's crazy. I love it, but it's well, I mean, crazy. But but it's we're, we're still assuming. You and I are still guilty of this. As much as we know better, we still put some stock in the logic of yesterday, the logic of the past. You couldn't do those things when 
when when things used to be as they were, but they're not that way any longer, Rev. I found this interesting. Of all the polling I read yesterday, here's what I find most interesting. In a CNN poll, you ready? In a CNN poll in Michigan and Georgia, without the um, without the third-party candidates, fourth-party candidates, fifth-party candidates, Trump's at 50, Biden's at 40. So in Michigan, Trump's up 10. I don't buy that. I mean, there's something happening. that I just don't buy that. There's no way that a Republican is up 10 points over a Democrat unless America First has broad appeal, unless America First is relatable to some of the uh, union and factory workers. I mean, we know the union leadership is going to support the Democrats. They've got an unholy alliance. We don't know the rank-and-file worker. I mean, when, you, when, the, when the union boss says, I'm standing with Biden, you know, Biden lunch pale Joe from Scranton, New Jersey, and represents Delaware and the Senate all them years, road Amtrak. I mean, you know, he's one of us. Well, I mean, that doesn't mean every member of the union go, yeah, he is. A lot of the members of the union go, ah, you and Joe got a deal, just like everybody else and Joe has a deal. But, but here's what's interesting. When you add Kennedy and West into the mix in Michigan, they take more from Trump than they do from Biden. Drew McKissick refuses to buy that. I still believe in some states, not not across the nation, but in some states, Kennedy and West will take some of the populist-oriented vote away from Trump and favor Biden. So Trump up 10 in Michigan, mano a mano. When you add Kennedy and West, Trump's only up eight. So they take two points away from, but I mean, they take from both candidates, obviously, but they take at a higher percentage from Trump than they do um, Biden, go to Georgia. You ready? Trump's at 49. Biden's at 44. I mean, these are polls that were concluded yesterday. These are hot off the press. In Georgia, Trump at 49, Biden at 44, with no West, no Kennedy. But if you add Kennedy and West, Trump goes to 42. Biden goes to 34. Kennedy at 15, West at 6. So Kennedy and West take more from Biden in Georgia they take more from Trump in in Michigan. Very interesting. Well, I mean, and I think that's going to be the case all over the country. But but you could say that I mean, Michigan, for example, would be a Democrat leaning state, and Georgia would probably slightly be a Republican leaning state. You know, right? and, and nobody's told you, nobody's told the Republicans where Kennedy stands on a lot of the issues of right, the day. Right. I mean, he's kind Very of an anti-vaxer. Right. He's a little bit of conspiracy theorist. I mean, that, that resonates with the America, you know, America first movement. Yep. Uh, some of the Republicans, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't have any idea. What, what I want to see is how many, and I don't know that we can poll this, and I don't know if it, we get honest answers if we could, but how many Republicans are voting for Biden? I mean, that, Trump's got about 91% support of Republican uh, voters. That's historically about average. I mean, it's 90, 91, 92%. But but the majority of the others stay home. The nine percent that don't get their way in a Republican primary, let let's say let's say you are a DeSantis supporter, and you 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 desperately want Ron DeSantis to be the nominee, and Trump gets the nod. Instead of voting for the Democrat, you just stay home. I mean, you say, hey, I just I gave it my best shot. I'm not voting for that guy. I have fundamental disagreements with that guy. I'm a Republican. He's a Republican. I'm not going to try to hurt the Republican, but but I guess I am by staying at home. But that's not the case with Trump. We believed that some, well, Mitt Romney has said he would. Paul Ryan has said yeah. he would. 
I mean, President Romney and Vice President Ryan have already gone to the record and said, <laughs> oh, yes. you know, that they will they will support the Democrat. Liz Cheney says she will actively support the Democrat. That's uncommon. And I don't know that the polls can calculate. Um, once again, 91% of Republicans are going to support Trump. But nor- that normally means the, the other nine just check out. I mean, they just stay home. I gave it my best shot. I did all I could do. I'm out. We believe, some believe, that the Haley supporters, I mean, I would say a third of the Haley, ah, maybe 25% of the Haley supporters may support Biden. And I don't know that polls can pick up that. That's concerning to me. I mean, that, it's not alarming to me, but it's concerning that there is no polling that shows what the Haley voted, because Haley's the establishment's darling. I mean, we, we settled that yesterday. I mean, DeSantis is somewhere between the two, but Nikki decided to be the, the darling of the establishment. And I have no idea what sort of deal they've got made. Um, I mean, unless she's just totally oblivious to the realities of where the Republican base is today. Let's go to the phone. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, uh, I got a little, maybe be able to shed a little bit of light on Michigan because I was doing some reading and uh, says that uh, the Muslim community is really, really angry at Biden right now because of his stance uh, pro-Israel stance, and uh, so that might have something to do with it because they were really responsible last time for him, uh, partly responsible for him winning that state. So that might be playing something into that. That might. Thank you, Bobby. I thought of that, but but the the only I think those votes come back home. I mean, I understand you know the heat of the moment. We we got the Palestinian Jewish issue, Israel. I mean, if you're a Muslim, where do you go? I mean, do you go vote for Trump? I mean, you could argue that Trump wanted somewhat of a Muslim ban, you know, back in um back in early in his in his 2016 presidency. Um, I, I just, I mean, I, I get that. I understand what Bobby's saying, and I thought about that. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, if that is what what's happening in Michigan, then that's a misrepresentation of what will happen in uh, in November. The Muslim vote will come back home. I mean, they're going to vote for the Democrat because the Democrat is more sympathetic to. Uh, I don't know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, embracing all religions and all faiths and um, treating all people the same. Anyway, that's kind of a, um, I mean, that, that, that'll, that'll settle where it settles. But, but if, if, I mean, there's no way Trump is going to do anything to try and further embrace the Muslim community. I mean, I, I just can't buy that. Um, I, I guess the Muslims want certain, but I know what Bobby's saying. Um, the Muslims won't buy to be more sympathetic and supportive of the, you know, the Palestinian cause and, and, in their battle with, um, with the Jews in Gaza and, and I guess the West bank to some degree. And there's a pretty big, I mean, I read 225,000 Muslim voters, registered voters who are Muslim, um, in, in the state of Michigan, that that's a big number. I mean, that's a big, especially in, in, a, but 10 points. I just don't buy. I think Trump's up big in Georgia. I think Georgia was an anomaly. I think Stacey Abrams earned every penny she made in the state of Georgia by figuring out a way to make things work. We'll leave it there. Make things work in Gwinnett and Fulton County. I just don't think you can repeat that, especially after what the Georgia General Assembly has done about absentee voting, early voting, drop boxes, some of the other, um, some of the other craziness. That went along with uh, with our COVID election. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, one, one of the big mistakes you can make is believing that you know more than those who make a living knowing things know. 
I'll give you an example. Um, you got a buddy that is a trainer for the Carolina Panthers, and you're a you're a odds maker. I mean, you're somebody. Oh, you're a, you're a, you're a gambler. I mean, you're not the odds maker. You're the guy who places the bet, and you think you're getting good information from somebody on the training staff. That may be legal, may not be. I don't know. Probably a violation of NFL law and rules, and you know, just kind of an unspokenness about what you do and what you don't do. But I doubt you're breaking a law. I mean, if your buddy who's on the training staff of the Carolina Panthers and lives in Rock Hill calls you and says, hey, uh, our quarterback can't go this weekend. You can make a mistake by believing that you know something the wise guys in Vegas don't. I mean, you probably know it. They probably know what days he went to the doctor and what the diagnosis was and what the likelihood or not of him playing is. And the line is based upon upon that. They've got buddies, too. Well, I mean, they've got... Yeah, I mean, they're doing this for a living, and, and and you're basing your analysis on having a friend in the training uh, department or the training office at the Carolina Panthers, and you think you know more than, than Vegas knows. One of the things that I'm interested in, and I don't know the answer to this, and I'll readily admit, I don't know the answer to this. When I look at presidential odds, and today Trump's at about 37. He was 36 yesterday. He's at about 37. The, the odds makers are taking in – some of the data moment by moment, day by day, and digesting, I guess. They may have a supercomputer somewhere. But when the Des Moines Register says Trump went up eight in Iowa, they're, they're, they're calculating that as not a single one-off event. But I mean, there's something kicking out there, guys. Remember James Carville on election night in 16 when he saw some of the turnout in the panhandle of Florida and then, you know, kind of western Pennsylvania? Remember Carville saying, you know, it's going to be a bad night for Democrats. I mean, some of these things that we thought. And when he saw Eastern Ohio go, he was like, uh, you know, Eastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. Very, well, I mean, that's what he said. So yeah. he said um, he said that um, what's happening in Western Pennsylvania is going to happen in Eastern Ohio. I mean, those are the same people. I mean, they're, they're, they're working class, they're middle class, they're God-fearing, they're hardworking, they're good and decent, blah, 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 blah. And if they're voting in record numbers in, in Western Pennsylvania, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to vote in record numbers in eastern in eastern Ohio. I don't know the odds maker strategy when they go down that road. And here's what I, I'll give an example. This is me playing. Uh, this is me being the guy that thinks knows more than the wise guys because I've got a friend in the training department of the Carolina <laughs> Panthers who told me the quarterback's ankle is a little more injured than they're leading on. Once again, I don't think you're breaking a law. But I think the NFL wouldn't – they would frown upon that sort of shenanigan happening uh, to, to basically impugn the integrity of their of their game. And gambling is a big part of the NFL. I mean, the gaming is a big part of the popularity of the NFL. The NFL has fantasy and gambling. That's why it's the 800-pound gorilla and dwarfs college football in popularity. But how many of the odds makers have gone through the rigor of taking 232 and 20 – that Trump ended up with, and know that that's 235 now. You see, I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. about kind of getting in the weeds here. Remember, because of the census and the mass exodus from blue big cities into red states, there's been kind of a um, a transfer of electoral college votes. And if Trump held serve, if Trump lost every state, he lost in 20 and won every state he won in 20, instead of having 232, he has 235. So if you take 235, and you believe Georgia was just crooked. I mean, Georgia was something that something didn't smell right in Georgia. And I guess, Reb, the reason I'm more interested in Georgia, I don't know how you fix Philadelphia. 
I mean, I don't know that the the RNC has enough money or the Trump campaign has enough money to yeah, fix Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is already fixed. But I, but I think you can fix Georgia. I mean, I think the Georgia General Assembly has done some things. Um, you got a governor, Brian Kemp, who seems to be interested in making it um, harder to vote illegally, harder to vote, you know, absentee or drop boxes or some of the other um, craziness that went on with the um, with the COVID election. But I wonder if the I mean, I don't doubt the odds makers know more than anybody knows about the training camps or the training rooms or, you know, the taped ankles or the injury reports. I don't doubt that a bit, but I do doubt how much they dig into the minutia of elections in London when they make the odds. And I'll do it during the next break. I'll pull up the, um, the odds makers in London and what they, the odds they have trumpet being elected, the odds they have Biden being elected. But the reason I am so optimistic guys is two thirty two is now 235. Put Georgia in the column is 251. A Republican has never started at 251. Ohio and Florida aren't swing states anymore. They're just not. They're red, and they're very receptive to the America First agenda. They are. Trump did well in Florida. Trump does well in Ohio. Trump's going to win Georgia. So 232 turns into 251, 270 wins the nomination or the presidency. presidency. Um, you got 19. You can win it without Pennsylvania. You got Wisconsin. You got Michigan. You got Nevada. You got Arizona. I still don't trust Virginia. And you got to play some defense in North Carolina. But I'll agree with that. You got to play. But for the first time that I can remember, I'm not intimidated by the electoral map. I'm a little bit encouraged by the electoral map. When I felt the Republican has spent millions and millions and millions to win Ohio and Florida, it was a daunting task. They don't have to do that now. They're going to win Ohio. They're going to win Florida. They, they, they can't take them for granted. They've got to invest, but they're going to win those two states. They're going to win Georgia. The most recent poll has Trump up five in Georgia. I think it gets better for Trump and worse for Biden. I think 2024 is going to be a tough year for the economy. So, so, so instead of, well, I mean, you got all these, you got all these, uh, th- these headwinds demographically. You do. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The Republicans have a minority problem and a young problem, youth problem, but they've got an electoral college advantage that is going to be created. It's already created a three, um, electoral vote transfer from blue states to red states. And I think it only exacerbates itself in the 2030 census. I've seen projections that say 2032 in 2020 turns into 235 in 2024 could turn into 239 or 240 because of the mass exodus from some of the big cities and uh, heavily populated areas that are democratically or democratic governed. And that's just, that's something to be optimistic and encouraged by eight, four, three, six. And I don't know how much digging they do on that. I'd love to talk to a pollster, excuse me, a, um, a wise guy, about, you know, hey, when you guys conclude that these are the odds, how do you get there? I mean, how, well, I mean, I think I understand how you do it in sports, but how do you do it in politics? Let's take a break, Josh. We'll be back in just a minute. We touched briefly this morning before we started talking about some of the polling in Michigan, Iowa, Georgia. We touched briefly on what special counsel Jack Smith is asking the Supreme Court to do. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. He can elaborate and clarify. Ryan, good morning. Exactly what is the special counsel asking the Supreme Court to do? 
Right. So so uh, former President Trump is trying to use what's called the immunity clause and claim that because he had presidential immunity when he was trying to overturn the election results of the 2020 election, therefore he can't be prosecuted for the alleged crimes that he's being uh, that he's facing right now. So essentially, an appeals court was going to hear this after a, a, another court uh, ultimately decided that, oh, the prosecution can continue and, that, and they can go to trial in March. Uh, but Jack Smith, the special counsel here, wants to bypass that appeals court and just send this straight to the uh, Supreme Court for an emergency hearing so that they trial March in favor of the prosecution. Ryan, what's the advantage of bypassing? Is it just to quickly or more quickly expedite the trial? For the most part, yes, because he's filing an emergency clause with the Supreme Court. So that would essentially force the Supreme Court to take this up quickly and decide on it quickly. And, you know, the trial is only a couple months away. So I think there was a concern that this would get stuck up in the appeals court and then push this back way past March. Good deal. Ron, thank you for your time and explanation. Have a good day, sir. Hey, you too. Thank you so much, as always. And and we tried to explain that a bit this morning. I mean, and in, 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 I, I want to get to something in a second, Rev and I were talking about. But when Trump, I mean, the, the, the cases that I guess are going to make the most noise are the election interference cases. I don't think the general public are that concerned about, you know, whether or not he mishandled classified information, whether or not he obstructed justice. I think there's... I think the majority of people in America will say, well, I mean, they, they've all done that. I mean, that's just kind of, that's what those arrogant SOBs do. You know, they, they mishandle classified information. They obstruct justice because they're the president. They think these things belong to them. And, and maybe Trump didn't negotiate in good faith. I mean, I, you know, I just, I don't think the voters are bothered by that much at all. I think the voters see through what's happening in New York. I mean, I've seen polling that says what's happening in New York is a travesty. I mean, you know, Trump, declares a property a certain value, the bank uh, assesses what Trump's appraisal is, and some, Trump self-appraises, and the bank says, we can't take your word on it, dude. we got to send some some real legitimate commercial appraisers appraisers out there, and, and you know, and, and we'll make the deal. Um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a victimless crime unless you follow some of the logic of Letitia James when she says, yeah, but I mean, the banks could have loaned that money that Trump borrowed at a better rate they could have loaned that money at a higher rate from someone who didn't inflate the value of assets. Therefore, the shareholders of Deutsche Bank got shorted out of a a premium or a better return. I mean, that that's that's fabrication. Quite a stretch. Well, I mean, it is. And that's a lady who knows nothing about the economy. But she ran on, I'll get Trump. I mean, if you vote me in the office, I will get Donald Trump. And she's trying her dead level best to do what she said she'd do. Give the lady credit. You know, most candidates that run for office don't do what they say they're going to do. She said, if elected, I'm going after Trump. So to some, she's in, fulfilling the most, a campaign well, I mean, promise, in the huh? most amended way imaginable, she's doing what she told the voters she would do. But I think and people they did are, vote for her, but I, mean, I don't think people are, I think people see that for exactly what it is. I've even heard some Democrats, you know, unexpectedly say, this is pretty much um, nonsense. What, what Trump's having to deal with. We need to focus on Georgia and Washington and some of these election interference cases. Um, so Jack Smith um, charged Trump with, I'm, 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 I mean, it's, it's a big basket, got a lot of different specifics, but it's election interference. And um, that's in the special counsel. So Fannie Willis, or, or Fannie Willis, in, um, in Georgia is heading the charge in election interference. Some of the phone calls Trump made to 
the secretary of state and the governor and some other elected officials down there. They're calling that election interference. Um, Trump said to the court that I have immunity. I'm the president. I can't break that law. You know, read the Constitution. The judge made an initial ruling. You don't, immunity doesn't apply there. I mean, you can't do that. Um, Trump appealed. So Jack Smith believed that the appellate court could take longer than he's comfortable with. So he basically just kind of end arounds. The appellate court goes directly to the Supreme Court. The court chose to hear it. I mean, the court said, yeah, we'll hear it. Um, Trump, you and your legal team have until, I think it might be next Tuesday or Wednesday to get me all the information. Um, special counsel, you have until I think the same week, a different day to get me all the information. Now they didn't say when they'd rule on it, but they said expedite quickly. What, what does that mean? Next week, week after next month, March, April, May, I don't have any idea, but that's very ambiguous in their response. But here's what I believe is happening guys. I mean, we're talking about election interference. We're talking about what we're talking about, um, ah, obstructing justice and mishandling classified information and appraising, uh, appraisals of properties that don't meet assessments and borrowing money at cheaper interest. I mean, it's like the, 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 the hits never stop coming. I mean, they just, you know, Trump is being overwhelmed with legal matters that most people would never in a million years have to deal with. And then you read the polls. I mean, the, the mainstream media told you for a year, this guy's a crook. He's broke every law in the book. He won't obey the standards and rules and regulations. Uh, forget decency and decorum. I mean, this cat won't, I mean, we get that. That's not breaking laws. But this cat won't even obey by the, you know, the, the, the laws of the land. Forget not coming to an inauguration or saying certain things that are so irreverent. But, but I think we're beginning to see, and I told Rev during the break, we're beginning to see common sense prevail. I know we have a saying in America today, um, common sense ain't very common. And I don't disagree with that. But I think the Seinfeld watcher has a certain degree of interest and, and bases their analysis not on you know what, what Nixon did with the tapes and what precedent there is. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Seinfeld watcher not being a political junkie at all. But I do think they have a degree of common sense. And I think every time they hear a story or someone opines on what Trump may or may not have done, they say, I, I just don't believe that guy's who they say he is. I just don't. I mean, I know he's different. I know he's odd. I know they don't like him there. See, that's, I think that's the central theme of the independent. I think the independent has concluded subconsciously they don't like him there. I mean, that's that's the change in the polls. It's not your politicos that are one way or the other. They, they, they're going to vote Democrat or sure. they're going to vote Republican well, or they're the, going to vote Trump or they're going to vote Biden. Well, that, that's the 26% of Americans who believe that Trump is, excuse me, the country's on the right track. I mean, how can you right. believe that? But the, but the common sense approach is how is it, how's it affecting their family well, directly? Here, I mean, here's a common sense approach. I'll give you an example. So, so for two or three or four years, we've been told that everybody's dying to have an electric vehicle. I mean, that's the left. The left has told you. We had a guy call in the show and say people are so desirous of the electric car, they're paying more than sticker. I mean, they're, you know, they're yeah. waiting in line to buy these things. Well, yesterday, and this is the common sense I'm talking about, and I could be wrong, but I think we're beginning to see some of the common sense come into play. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but yesterday, or really Sunday, Sunday Ford released a memo. 
saying that they are going to um, cut production of the electric truck, the Ford F-150, the Lightning is what they're calling it, and they're cutting it by one half. Mm, okay. They're cutting it by one half. Not 10%, not, not 12%. Um, they're going to start building um, about 1,600 every week. Now, now, stick with me for a second. They were they, they, they were encouraged by the government to build 100 and I think it's 150,000 a year. I mean, that's what the government said. Um, yeah, 150,000 of the all-electric vehicles. Um, that was the initial planned output from Ford. They met with the government. The government gave subsidies and encouragement and said, you know, uh, here's the Green New Deal, and here's what we'll do, and you'll do, and they'll do, and she'll do, and he'll do. And out of that came um, an expectation to build 150,000 of the um, all-electric F-150 Lightning trucks. You know how many they've sold through the end of November? Mm. 20,365. Okay. 20,365. Now, once again, they built a facility, the Ford Rogue Electric Vehicle Center in Dearborn, Michigan, has the capacity because, once again, they took about um, $12 billion in EV incentives from the federal government. That wouldn't be you, the taxpayer. So you, the taxpayer, incentivize Ford to build this enormous production facility to build 150,000 EVs because remember what Biden said, you know, we're going to decarbonize our economy in 10 years. That would have been, uh, what, three years ago. So we're seven years out from the decarbonization of our economy. And Ford has decided not to build 3,200 a week, but rather 1,600 a week. What they didn't tell you is this. So they've been building 3,200 a week. They've decided to cut by one-half production. They've only sold, stick with me, I'm reading between the lines here, they admit they've only sold 20,365 this year through November. So let's say 48 weeks, they've sold, they've sold an average of 425 trucks per year. Where are all the other Ford Lightning F-150s? I mean, if they've been building 3,200 a week, I'm sorry, 30, yeah, 3,200 a week, they're selling 425 a week. Where's all the damn trucks? I mean, where are the 2,800 trucks every week that nobody bought? Are they in a storage yard? Are they in the bottom of the Atlantic? Are they in some government warehouse as part of the subsidy and incentive plan? I don't know. But I mean, and, and I'm a bit slow. Math was never my best subject. But um, but once again, they built a facility capable of building uh, 150,000 a year. They took about 12 billion in EV incentives and government investments. They admit they've sold 20,365 of the trucks through November. They're saying they built 3,200 a week, and they're cutting production back to 16. It seems to me that they cut production to 425 a week. I mean, if you want to get, um, you, you ready? Here's a Ford spokesperson yesterday. We'll continue to match production with customer demand, but you're not. You're not matching production with customer demand because the customers are buying 425 Ford electric trucks a week. You were building 3,200 a week. Now you're building 1,600 a week. There's something that doesn't smell right here. I mean, something, the government is involved in Ford 
making this decision. I'll assure you of that, and they're not telling you the whole story. Hmm. Well, here's my point. Common sense is beginning to prevail. The common sense narrative for the past 10 years was higher education has become far too liberal. But the media beat back that narrative and beat back that narrative, and the average consumer of, of news didn't have the time to invest to go figure out, hey, are they telling me the truth or not? Now, you and I did, and we've called into the carpet more than one time. The media does not tell you what the truth is. The media tells you what they desire the truth to be. I mean, I've been very consistent on that. But all of a sudden, we have a hearing on Capitol Hill, and the Seinfeld watcher has an opportunity to hear the president of Penn, the president of Harvard, the president of MIT, say some of the most outrageous and outlandish things ever said in a subcommittee that basically, until someone commits genocide, they're not in violation of community standards and some of the university's um, policy on uh, intimidation, bullying, and, and, and free speech. And I think the, the, the consumer, the average consumer of news is beginning to say, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I've been, I've been hearing for a decade that elite universities are run by these nut job liberals, but the media said that's just something, some of these, that's, that's Limbaugh saying those things. That's Bongino saying some of those guys. That's, um, you know, that, that's Fox News and Tucker Carlson and, and you know, uh, Megyn Kelly. When she, some of that right-wing media, I mean, they say some of those nonsensical things like, you know, the public isn't ready for the electric truck. And higher education is inundated with liberal, liberal philosophy. And I'm being kind, nuts. I mean, liberal nut jobs running prestigious universities like Harvard, Yale, MIT, um, University of Pennsylvania. And I think common sense, I think people now in their conscious and subconscious are, are beginning to say, the only guy that makes any sense to me is Trump. I mean, yeah, he says crazy things, and yeah, he thinks a lot of himself and his opinion, but it seems like the majority of what he says and his, his America First movement say seems to come true a lot more than it did. And those America Firsters are the ones that said higher education, elite higher education, is run by a bunch of liberal nut jobs. That those America First conspiracy theorists were the ones that said the government's trying to cook up a deal with these auto manufacturers to build cars that people don't really want. I mean, imagine that being the conspiracy, right? I mean, that's what we said two years ago. You're going to build all these EVs that nobody really wants. They were building 3,200 a week. They're cutting back to 1,600 a week, but they're only selling 425 a week. Common sense says that doesn't make much sense. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. So, so you think that people, and I guess these are the independents or whatever, the Seinfeld watchers, are, are just now paying attention? Well, he, or are they, when they do pay a little attention, they kind of like, well. The, know, sign, the, the Seinfeld watcher is beginning to realize, and this is encouraging to me. There's not a lot to be encouraged about if you sit where I do. But the Seinfeld watcher are beginning to realize that the people who have been in control of the narrative have just not been honest. And these nuts like me and you and talk show host and some of the callers, I mean, we have been the alternative voice. We have been out of the mainstream. We've been treated as, you know, once again, the the, the, the extreme right-wing, uh, what, what right-wing extremist. I mean, that's how we would be labeled. And for yep. a long time, the Seinfeld watcher believed that NBC News was legitimate. 
and the New York Times and Washington Post were legitimate. And if the New York Times, Washington Post, and NBC News said there's a chance that we could decarbonize the economy, but I mean, they're not going to dig around the uh, the uh, intercontinental um, you know climate report. I mean, they're watching Seinfeld. But all of a sudden, the Seinfeld watcher says to themselves, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, maybe um, you know w- with a certain increased degree of interest. But but all of a sudden. That they're beginning to, to say to themselves, you know, the only people that have said things that have come to fruition are those crazy talk show hosts and those crazy people that call into talk shows. I mean, they're the ones that have said things that, that appear to not be that extreme. I mean, I remember driving to work the other day and hearing one of these talk show hosts or one of these, um, you know, conservative analysts say um, higher education has been hijacked by, you know, liberal nuthood. I mean, just absolute nutcases running some of the liberal universities. Well, for a long time, NBC News said, you, you better bet we need, you know, these elite universities producing the quality graduates to run our, our educational systems in America today. You better thank God we've got Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Dartmouth and, um, you know, Georgetown and Georgia. You better thank the good Lord in heaven that, that we're graduating these quality young men and women so they can run the media agencies and run some of these government agencies. And the Seinfeld watcher says, I don't know, man. I mean, th- these guys on the radio say things that seem to come true. These guys in the, um, in the conservative circles say things that seem to come true. In fact, I read the other day that they can't give these Ford electric trucks away. I, I read the other day, and I remember the guys on the radio saying that two years ago. It's nonsense. I mean, the market's not ready for this. And I believe that the, the Seinfeld watcher, who matters immensely in presidential politics, are beginning to kind of take a commonsensical approach to who's telling them the truth and who's not. They're not going to do the deep digging. I mean, I, I love it when people say, well, the problem in America today is people won't pay closer attention. Well, I mean, people are going to pay as close attention as they choose to. The Seinfeld watcher is never going to be a, a big fan of politics. They just aren't. They don't like the conflict. They don't like the controversy. They don't like the the the, you know, the, the, the confrontation. They just don't like that. They're going to find kinder, simpler, more agreeable things to invest their time and energy in. But they're still hearing from voices. And for a long time, the legitimate voices were the mainstream media. The, the out-of-the-mainstream voices were marginalized and disparaged, and you better not, you better not, I mean, that Limbaugh's crazy. I mean, some of those radio show hosts are nuts. Well, think about what they did to the uh, non-mainstream voices on social media. They did not let us speak. I mean, we, our, our voice was not even allowed to be heard. But I believe the Seinfeld watcher, because of the recent stories, are, are, are beginning to say, I don't know, man. Um, Trump's different, but I, it seemed like things run, were running better when he was the president and some of those guys on the radio said just the opposite of some of the elite educated members of the media about electric vehicles, about, you know, higher education, about taxes, about crime, about all these other sorts of things. Um, I mean, if, if I'm a, if I'm a Seinfeld watcher and I, and I know there are a lot of issues in some of these major cities and I turn on CNN and there's a guy standing graduated from Princeton. I mean, he's a senior reporter at CNN and the building behind him is burning. And he says, you know, the protests are mostly peaceful. I mean, if I'm a Seinfeld watcher, at some point in time, I go, no, it's not. <laughs> the building behind you is burning, dude. It doesn't look very peaceful the, to me. The building behind you is on fire. And I think over a period of time, maybe they got full of themselves. Maybe they thought they could get away with anything. 
But I think the reason that you see for every indictment, Trump got stronger. For every criminal charge, Trump's support got more intense. And I believe that is Americans concluding via their common sense, the only people telling me the truth are the ones that aren't elite educated or don't have, you know, a corner office in a major media market. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You know, Kim, when we call these Democrats liberals, we're insulting liberals, a true liberal. And if you call me a Republican, you're insulting me because I don't want my, I don't want to be associated in any way, shape, or form with a lot of these Republicans like you Lindsey Graham's and your Mitch McConnell's and your, that, that, that the girl from whatever, South Carolina's governor there. I don't want, any, I don't want to be associated with them at all, at all. And you know, when you pray to the good Lord, to, um, to bless this country and protect this country and deliver us from this evil, you've got to do something to be that miracle. Just like if you're praying for good health while you're sitting there not exercising and eating a bunch of processed foods, you ain't giving God much help there. You know, and we've got to help God in this situation, and we got to fight against these people. And it may get even a little more than we want, but it's going to have to be a fight. We're going to have to stand up. I wish I would have said more during COVID. I wish I would have probably been, you know, maybe not so Christian-like, but be more confrontational with these idiots during COVID and, and, and everyone else, even though I was pretty bad, to be honest with you. But I'll tell you another thing, though, kid. You know, we were you told about um, putting some of these Democrat uh, uh, yeah, presidents on the spot, but we need to put some of our Republican leaders on the spot. How many of these Republican leaders believe, like I believe you believe, and I believe that that this cathedral group is out to destroy our country and the world, and that everything that they're doing is part of a plan and none of it's by accident? And how many of these Republicans are willing to admit that publicly? And I'll talk about our Republican leaders and say that they're really willing to fight instead of just got to run their mouth. Have you met one yet that you feel like sincerely understands what's going on and sincerely understands the gravity of what kind of a fight we're in and are willing to fight like that? Or most of them just looking forward to their next election? Yeah, I mean, there's nobody will. I mean, it's going to be a struggle. I mean, there's going to be an enormous struggle and a fight. And, uh, no, I don't know anybody willing to get in the throes of that. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're, uh, we're counting on Republican leaders to lead us into this battle, but not a, but none of them want to do it. And my question would be, why do they not want to be part of this battle unless they're traitors to this country, they're traitors to God, and they're traitors to the world? If they aren't willing to sit there and step up and say what really, truly is happening in this world and lead, then they're traitors. We can't count on them. They're candy assets. They're cowards. They're just self-preservationists. And, they are, and, and, and they're just, every breath they take, they're stealing oxygen for somebody who deserves it more than them. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. I'll give you a name. That, that is going to be very interesting. We're going to probably have um, a vote today or tomorrow to begin an impeachment inquiry into the Biden administration. I mean, take Hunter Biden out of the equation, all of his issues, all of his problems. I mean, they, they'll be in the web of Joe Biden. 
But I read a lot over the weekend, read a little bit yesterday afternoon and evening about Sarah Biden. Um, There's some interesting stories out there. Um, Real Clear Politics Investigation uh, wrote a big story about Sarah Biden. She's a Duke Law graduate. Um, She's the the sister-in-law of Joe Biden. The reason I'm trying to learn more about her is she's going to be central to the, the impeachment inquiry, if the Republicans um, have the votes today or tomorrow to launch the impeachment inquiry, one of the central figures is going to be Sarah Biden. And you will be fascinated. You will be fascinated if this story is allowed to be told in the public domain. Now, don't bank on the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, or New York Times bringing to light some of the activities of Sarah Biden. But, but she and Jim Biden, the brother of Joe Biden, I mean, they, they were the operatives. I mean, they, they were the hacks. I was trying so to, to remember where I heard her name. She signed one of the checks they have a she copy is, of, is right? Going to, she's going to end up being kind of the, the deal maker. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think she's the one. Um, I mean, wanted to live high and mighty, graduated from Duke Law, felt she was deserved of that sort of lifestyle. Um, I think she's from Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. But she was the one that I think put into action uh, the plan to sell access to, to, to brother-in-law Joe Biden, and they have had the most complicated financial existence you could ever imagine. I mean, if you believe um, a drug dealer and laundering money, remember Ozark? I oh, mean, yeah. you know, oh, o- yeah. Ozark is baby crap alongside what the Bidens have done. Really? Oh, it, it's fascinating. I mean, it's really I mean, you kind of tip your hat like, that's real smart. I mean, I'm not sure it's um, above board, but it's genius the way the way you did it. But we're going we're gonna to hear a lot from her if we can get this impeachment inquiry. And the impeachment inquiry is not an, an impeachment. I mean, it's the beginning of an inquiry. And the reason they're asking for the inquiry is the, the White House is stonewalling. I mean, they're not providing information. They're not allowing certain um, personal information to be uh, accessed that is fair game if we indeed um, have the impeachments, the subpoena power, and some of the other. But remember the name Sarah Biden. Uh, just an absolutely fascinating tale of how they move money around. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic. Maybe I'm giving ourselves a little more credit than we deserve. But I believe that some of the people that matter most, independents in some of these swing states, and I think the polling reflects some of this, I think some of the independent voices are beginning to believe that MAGA's not as crazy as they were told on the front end. The America First movement is not as dangerous as they were led to believe in the early, early days. And I think every time a story like this breaks, you know, the EV story, the higher education story, and I'm not talking about FMU or Carolina or Clemson. I'm talking about these elite universities. I went back and looked yesterday uh, to make sure I was correct. 90 of the 198 um, senior-level staffers in the White House graduated from Ivy League universities. Buttigieg, uh, Blinken, Garland, all from Harvard. Um, Yellen, Granholm, uh, all are Ivy Leaguers. So, so roughly 70% of these, you know, the, what I'll call the um, department heads, you know, Department of Transportation, the Attorney General, the Department of, of Energy, uh, the, the Treasury Department. I mean, all are led by, you know, these elite educated men and women. 843-661-0937. 
Let's go to the phone. Wish I could say I was surprised about those stats. Here's Joe in Florence. Good morning. Uh, good morning, guys. I, I just want to catch up on a couple points. Uh, last week you were talking about the debate without Donald Trump showing up, and he and you were referencing what it would be like uh, if you went to see the East Street Band without Springsteen. I don't know if that's ever happened, but but I have individual you know records by Steve Van Zant and Nils Lofgren and Roy Bitten, and and the way I would describe it is it's music without the magic. And, and I really think that's what Donald Trump is bringing to uh, a lot of a lot of us who are hoping for things to be corrected. So that, that's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing is I want to come to the defense a little bit of the Seinfeld watchers as a Seinfeld watcher and give you a different perspective. A lot of times, guys, uh, because the news is so heavy, because some of the things that you guys have been reporting on is dare I say, somewhat depressing, <laughs> the fact that we're not in better shape than we are. A lot of times I'll come home from a hard day and I'll plop down in front of the TV with a nice coffee or an adult beverage, and I'll just watch Seinfeld <laughs> to have some mindless entertainment just to kind of dumb down my brain to give it a rest from all the thinking I've been doing during the day. Also, it reminds me of when I lived in New York City and Giuliani was in charge and things were a little bit better. So, so that's just want to say that not all of us uh, are watching Seinfeld because we're unaware. Sometimes we're escaping with Seinfeld. And the last thing I wanted to mention, I mentioned this to Josh, but I don't know if he told you guys, but I have affectionately started uh, referring to you guys as the butcher baker and the candlestick baker. And I want to tell you why, because <laughs> it seems like Ken takes a side of uh, American beef and cuts it up into fillets, some are, some are filet mignon, some are rump roast. Uh, Dave seems to let things settle and just puts them in the oven and let them cook on their own. And I look at, uh, at Josh as maybe lighting the way for my children. So the future will look better than it has been in the past. So anyways, I, I hope you take it in the, in the good spirit that I intended that. Thank Absolutely. You for everything you do. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you. and appreciate that input. You know, and, and I'm going to say this, I mean, I, I have worked in tobacco. I mean, I spent about three summers working in a tobacco field. I, I was in metal fabrication. Um, I have been around, the majority of my life has been intense manual labor. I mean, I wore steel-toed boots. Uh, you know, it was hard work. It was daylight to dark. It was farming and manufacturing. Um, it was physically taxing. I mean, it was hard on the body. Uh, when you got home, um, you didn't feel like, you know, uh, going to the gym. You felt like you'd been at the gym all afternoon or all day exerting whatever you had on behalf of your place of employment. And then I all of a sudden get in politics. And, and I've told this story before, um, off of the steel-toed boots, on with the, um, with the dress shoes. And that was a, quite an adjustment in my life. One of the hardest things that, that, you know, one of the most mentally taxing things I do is deliver negativity. I mean, I wish that I could tell you everything was okay. I wish that I could sit behind this microphone and said, guys, nothing to say here. We're governed by very competent, responsible, and honest people. Have a good day. We'll talk tomorrow. If anything breaks, we'll be back during the day. But, uh, but I, I don't have any negative news to report. But, but that's not the case. And I, and I feel inspired to encourage you to pay closer attention. And if that means do something with, with, with the bad news, then do something with the bad news. I've told the story about my son's addiction. And the biggest mistake I made was kind of letting it be for a year or two or three. I mean, it's that dark cloud, and you know something's not right. 
but you're not man or woman enough to go tackle it and and take it on. Maybe it's you don't know what to do. Maybe it's you you really don't want to do it. It's not going to be any fun. It's going to get dirty and nasty, and out of that comes a lot of our money. Anyway, some of what I do in the mornings, and and I do watch Andy Griffith, and I watch Seinfeld, and I watch sports to try and, I don't know, Rev, in some cathartic way to get me away from all the negativity because when I read Real Clear Politics, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they aren't, it's not story after story of happily married people winning lotteries. I mean, it's a big-ass complicated world. And we made a lot of big, real irresponsible decisions. And I feel I have an obligation not to educate you, but to inform you and to encourage you to be part of a solution instead of allowing the problem to persist. I mean, it would be much more fun to find a, you know, a a lovey-dovey story, an inspirational story every day to quote or recite that story and and tell you to have a good day and we'll talk tomorrow. We'll encourage one another about, you know, visions of sugar plums dancing in all of our, in all of our heads. That's a Christmas reference there. It would normally be the John Lennon song, but that's not the world we live in. We are an incompetently governed nation. We have huge problems that are going to impair the ability for my kids and your kids, my eventual grandkids, your grandkids, to live the life that they deserve. And I'm proud to be a part of addressing these issues. I don't have all the answers. I've never professed to have all the answers. I think I do a pretty decent job of identifying the problems. And right now, I mean, I've said it, I'll say it again, I think the two biggest problems facing this country are debt and energy. And I think we're heading in a bad way. We can stomach a lot of mistakes. I mean, we have historically. But if we make some of these generational miscalculations, it's going to disallow my kids and your kids from enjoying the America I think they deserve. So hell yeah, I'd rather watch Seinfeld and Andy Griffith and the Braves and Gamecocks. But I think somebody's got to address and talk matter-of-factly about some very important issues that this nation is dealing with and must deal with. And I believe the other side has had distinct advantages and the problems have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger because of a lack of accountability from people who we've historically trusted to hold those people or entrusted the responsibility to hold those people somewhat responsible. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Dr. Will Bold is with us. History Chair Francis Marion University rocking the <laughs> Buffalo Bills hoodie That's this right. morning. Yes, it's, it's. I can wear it with uh, with pride, and I mean, he was uh, well over the line. It was the right call by the rest. We skewer them when they get it wrong, but uh, thank God he was they, well over the line. <laughs> thank God they didn't I think swallow his big the whistle. Toe may have been yeah. over the line. <laughs> and it, well, the other receiver on the far side was in another time zone. He was so far off the line. So uh, yeah, if they if they hadn't called that, would have been another gut wrenching defeat for the Bills. It would have been another one. Would have been the fifth one we would have lost on the. Pretty much the final play of the game. And Miami loses last night, and so suddenly it's like, don't sleep on the but, Buffalo but here, Bills. But here's the deal. I want to get your take on this. The day that Tyreek Hill yeah. left the Chiefs <laughs> was the day the, the AFC became different. I think I mean, you're, you're I, I, right, I don't yeah. know where we end up, and I don't know who the best team of the AFC is, but when Hill leaves Kansas City, something happened to that team, and they seem to be more on par. With, right. with the, the I mean, Dolphins and the Beals and I mean, a couple of other things. I mean, that guy is just a, just a beast. You cannot cover that guy. Just the, the speed, the athleticism. I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches, and I'm, you, you butt up against the salary cap, but 
man, you got to find every way you can to keep that guy, and you don't let him go to a an in conference rival in that. And we were ecstatic in Buffalo. It was like, well, we don't now we got to play this Dwayne on twice with Miami. But I mean, it's Kansas City is not the same team, and Kelsey is still a beast, can beat you single handedly. Uh, but if you can kind of take him out of the game, there's no other, uh, there's no other weapons. And you you saw Mahomes trying to pound it's a, a round peg into a square hole. They're just not the same team, and it's 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 good. It keeps the it keeps things level in the AFC. If, just think of how scary they'd be if they still had Tyreek Hill out there running around. So, do do something for me because I can't relate to this. I understand the energy around the Gamecocks and Tigers. Right. I mean, I grew up in that. I mean, I grew up a Gamecock fan, and I understand how intense that the Clemson fan base is, the Gamecock <laughs> fan base. Relay that to the Buffalo Bills growing up in an NFL city. Yeah, no, it's as the Bills go, so go the city of Buffalo. I mean, we wear our hearts on our sleeve. And on a, on a tough loss, if you'd go into the office, you'd go to school on a Monday, the teachers would just be down and depressed. You know, you, you could just kind of tell all the, the stuffing had come out of the people. And I remember after, after that Super Bowl, the first one that they lost in 91, the, the famous wide right, just the next day, dad, all the other guys, all the people in the neighborhood, just kind of like just, they, they just weren't their same, weren't the same. And, and Buffalo were sort of the, the butt of a lot of jokes. We're a, a, a Rust Belt city. Our only major franchise is the Bills. We've got a hockey team, the Sabres. Nobody in America cares about about hockey, so we don't have baseball or basketball. And so Buffalo was how we're the Bills are how we're relevant. That's how people kind of talk about us and identify. And for many years, close to twenty years, we were irrelevant in the NFL. Uh, I had students who would say, "Oh, there's a team, the, the Buff- there's a fo- a professional team in Buffalo." And then other guys would say, "Well, that's the team you play in Madden if you want to give the other guy a chance." You know, they're 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 so bad. They're so pathetic. But again, though, just uh, the Bills are on this nice run right now. People are talking about us. When the Bills win a big game, people go out in 20-degree weather to the airport uh, to welcome uh, the team back. And this is a regular season regular season game. So it's not, it's, I, I can't really describe it. Bills Mafia, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. And again, it's a, it's a great feeling when they when they win a big game like this. So, so, so what is the city's opinion of Jim Kelly? Uh, Jim Kelly is a is is a folk hero. I mean, he was the quarterback the, that led us through all of the Glorious. He had some some personal troubles. The guy had to battle a uh, an oral cancer, just terrible, terrible stuff. And so the city kind of rallied around him. And again, all of those guys from the the Glorious from the four, and you know, we're the only team that's ever gone to four straight Super Bowls. Only team that's lost four straight Super Bowls. That that's a story for another day, as well. But again, no, like all those guys, Frank Reich, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, these guys never and had to buy Ma- me. Marv Levy, the coach, was a Harvard grad, it's if Harvard. I'm not mistaken. We're and talking about Ivy Leaguers. Still uh-huh. alive in his yeah. in his late 90s. You know, and it's still right. And whenever these guys come back, uh, sort of in a pregame ceremony, just thunderous applause uh, that these guys uh, get. So they're, they're still highly regarded and well-revered. But the most famous Buffalo Bill ever. And you know where I'm headed here. Yes, uh, could, could be, could be the juice. And I'm not talking about Juice Wales, receiver at South Carolina, but rather OJ Simpson. Yeah. I mean, he would have been a favorite child of Buffalo. Oh, absolutely. Until well, he still kind of is. He's uh, he's on the ring of honor. There's still guys who have a uh, number 32 with Simpson jerseys out there as well. And again, right, you know, he allegedly committed that crime, was never convicted. In a criminal court, uh, another interesting tidbit about the Bills, though, we're proud of. Uh, Buffalo Bills have the only NFL player who was killed in Vietnam. Uh, Bob Kalsu was a member of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills drafted him, and he told them, 
I have a commitment to the Oklahoma National Guard, and if my unit is called up, I'm going to go to Vietnam. And the bills, the, the brass said, we'll pull some strings. Um, and Kalsu said, no, absolutely not. And when his unit was activated, he went uh, and was sadly killed uh, serving his country in Vietnam. And he is on the Ring of Honor in Buffalo. The Rust Belt yes. personified. Absolutely. Um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. The, the east side of the lakes, right? I mean, that would be the east yeah. side of the Great Lakes. And so we're right now sort of dealing with the, the lake effect snow. It's been a mild winter so far, and so that means the lake hasn't frozen yet. So that means it's going to be a, a rough January and February really? back home. So, yeah, if it's cold November, December, the lake freezes over, then it's going to be good. Because if the lake is still, if it's not frozen, as the storms come across, it just sucks up all that moisture and dumps it on Buffalo. So yeah. you, you, You're you a college professor yeah. at a Southern liberal arts <laughs> institution. Um, I've been very careful to not lump all the colleges sure, in yeah. with some of the elite colleges, some of the, um, I don't know, some of the prestigious institutions that we have historically held in high regard. Dr. Bolt, I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, but not the best of days no, it's, when it comes to um, elite yeah. colleges and universities last week on Capitol Hill. No, it's just it's, a, it's, it's like the Kansas City. It was a self-inflicted wound after several hours of testimony. To, to get far in, in academia, you have to know how to navigate through some minefields. And these are... <laughs> They're political science professors, for God's sake. Tell them what they want to hear. And so dying on this hill of, of free speech just isn't their way to go the way so the winds what are was the, and, and I want to interrupt, but okay, you're right. I mean, th- these are very capable men and women. You don't I mean, get this far right without knowing I mean, how to they're, they're, play the game. Nobody accuses them of being dumb or ignorant. Yeah. But they chose to do what they chose to do. Why? I, right. I don't know if they, again, if they, they're so full of this idea of free speech— and again, at its heart, we want colleges and universities. This is a place where we're going to discuss and debate ideas. At its core, I mean, this is very Jeffersonian. This is what <clears throat> this is what we're here for. But again, free speech, everybody—it's not unlimited. There are checks on it. And again, you could have you could have hedged it. You could have just said, you know, we believe in free speech, but this type of speech that is calling for the extermination of a race of individuals, this stuff is is off limits. We cannot support. And they couldn't go there. And so lots of lots of heads are starting to roll, and who this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and you wonder why they chose to not go there. I mean, yeah, I, I'm right. like bold. I mean, the, the the answer is easy. There, you know, free speech is an absolute right with absolute limitations. Right. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You can't encourage genocide against another yeah. human race. Right. Just play the game. You know, you you knew what they wanted to hear. You could you could have ended it in five ten minutes. But that that's you don't even what, have to mean it. Keep but, keep your fingers crossed. And that's neck. what perplexes me. If I thought they were too dumb to know better, <laughs> then I would blame it on ignorance. Right, they but, but they're smart enough to understand yeah. what came about if they answered the questions and I, as they did, and I they think, chose to continue right. down that road. And I think it continues to the, the stereotype that they're, they're, they're arrogant, that they're full of themselves, that they just wouldn't, they couldn't admit that they were possibly wrong in any, in any regard. You know, and, and, and I'll bring this in, Rev. You and I, I mean, you, you produced it. I hosted a, a podcast. With, with Bolt's uh, boss, Dr. Fred Carter. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about elite education. We talked a little bit about the uh, the prestigious institutions. And, and I'll never forget, Dr. Carter said on the podcast, I blame liberalism gone wild. I mean, that, that's my, I host a conservative radio show. I'm a Republican former. I mean, naturally, I'm going to blame, you know, liberalism gone wild. Dr. Carter said it's probably more arrogance than it is liberalism. I mean, I'm not disputing that they're probably liberally biased, 
but it's probably the arrogance that the rules apply to everybody, but not to me, because look how important I am. And that may be the answer. They, they were so arrogant, they felt the rules that apply to them that apply to mere mortals. At, at that level, who are you associated with? Who do you spend all of your time with? You're not there out in the, trunch, the trenches with the, the rank of You're with like-minded individuals who are only telling you uh, the exact same thing. You're sort of in an isolated in isolated bubble. So, of, of course, you just got to pare it back. And, again, it's another self-inflicted. Lots of people, higher education is under attack. And we we don't need any more self-inflicted wounds. So this this was this was a layup. This you could have easily just sidestepped this, played the game for just a couple of minutes, go back home and say, "I conned them. I, I told them what they want here. I didn't really mean it, but this is what we had to do." But no, and they just dragged it out for for how many years? How many sound bites did they get out of this? How many pounds of flesh? How many stuff that they can use against you in upcoming elections? So just a just a bad week. Bad day for elite and uh, <laughs> prestigious institutions of higher learning. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. You are on with Dr. Bolt. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Bolt and the butcher, the baker, and the <laughs> candlestick maker. Uh, Great. That's going to that's gonna stick, guys. Um, so I hear you guys talking about football. And no offense. I glaze over. I'm one of those people. I've got that family member. He knows every stat of every player in history, yet knows nothing about the world at all. And he's a teacher. Um, and, I've, and, I've, and I've often said to myself that if you wanted to change the world, if you pick any specific issue and it was important for democracy to thrive and survive, that if the entire NFL said, you know, we're going on strike until Biden is out of office and prosecuted. And it'd be handled within 24 hours because these are some of the most fervent believers ever. So how do we make politics, you know, interesting enough to people to where they know the stats and the vote? I mean, do we need like a Dana White, you know, literally – doing play-by-plays or some kind of show. Isn't that you know, like kind of what Trump felt? is? I mean, in a weird way, isn't that kind of what Trump represents? That's exactly where I'm going with it. it <laughs> but but they, the silence, that voice, still distances a lot of people. They, they, they don't have that day-by-day, you know, blow-by-blow and the stats. You know what I mean? People aren't betting on how the House is going to vote. Um, I, I think that that's one of the great tragedies of America. We, you know, the Seinfeld watcher and the football watcher are, um, they're just, you know, they're tuned out. That's interesting. Thank you <laughs> for the call. Appreciate the analogy. Good, good and and point, I'll yeah. say this, and I've been very consistent here, Bolt. Um, you are a student of early American history. Not a good you're, stuff, a, yeah. you're a professor of early American history. Early American history includes character after character after character after character somewhere along the way we decided to exterminate the character from the world of politics it became very yeah. sterile very right. very very generalized in other words the the things that our founders did would have been not just frowned upon but I mean, they would have been incriminated that they would have been incarcerated they, they, <laughs> and i believe that that america is paying a significant price by not having enough characters in politics yeah. today, I mean, it, it makes it boring, right? I mean, how do you how do you succeed? Well, you 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 raise money, right? You play it safe. 
That's how you. That's how you see. You well, you just said no matter what the professors believed, they should have played it safe. Yeah, yeah. Again, that that's how you sort of rise to the top. That's how you. That's how you serve. Again, if you don't have those few guys, there's only a handful of guys that you know. Maybe like a Rand Paul. All right, this guy's gonna. I'm gonna stop what I'm doing. I'm gonna. I'm gonna listen in to what he's saying. And most of these guys, when they give, you pretty much know you can predict what they're going to say. Unfortunately, is that the beauty of Trump? I, well, that you uh, don't know what he may Trump, say next? Oh, absolutely. He is the one guy who you, you never know exactly. This this could really go off the rails in a spectacular fashion. You know, just a, a Trump press conference. You know, if he gets out there and he's going to take questions, uh, get your popcorn ready. I mean, that's if you did that at 8 o'clock, that would be a ratings bonanza. You know, maybe one of the few things that could maybe rival an NFL game, as the caller was alluding to let's, a few let's, seconds ago. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Dr. Wilbold, history chair, Francis Marion University. Okay, we're making an observation. We're making an assumption that politics is boring to most. The NFL's not boring. <laughs> College football's not boring. No, no. Um, golf, to me, is boring. I mean, I understand it, but it's boring to me. It's I think our caller on... just made the point that we were talking football, and yeah. he glazed over it. Well, I mean, yeah. but, 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 but politics recently has become very boring. Yeah. We've got all these ways to get in trouble, and nobody wants to get in trouble. Um, but in early America, there were a lot of characters. I mean, if there were an ethics commission or, or some sort of, um, I mean, I, I guess a, a group of people who hold others accountable, Andrew Jackson would have stayed in the principal's <laughs> office. I mean, he, he would have, he would have stayed in the principal's office. Um, but he had a lot of flair and flavor and out of that came an interest level. People were interested. Trump has done that. I think Dr. Bolt would agree whether yeah. you love Trump or hate Trump. The unpredictability, the um, the things he may or may not say on a given moment, it makes people more interested yeah. in politics. Trump is good for business. Yeah, your, I mean, your business. No, just, doubt about it. We've got data that clearly shows he's been extremely good for our business. Um, but in early American history, there were characters. You and yeah. I hold Jefferson and Adams in high regard, but we hold them in high regard because of their intelligence, their That's intellectual right. horsepower. Their ability to think things through. Um, they they'd be grilled be being grilled before a congressional sure. committee. But I mean, nobody today. mistakes those for characters, so no. to speak. Who were some of the characters in early American history? Hey, obviously, you think of Andrew Jackson, this guy who fought duels with shotguns at ten paces, signed papers uh, that have stains of blood. That's exactly. I mean, think of that. Tell hey, the story, Bolt. If hey, you don't mind. No, he, sp- he, sp- he spoke his mind, Jackson. Again, just he, he didn't. He didn't really care about the niceties. Much like Trump, he's a he's an outsider. I know he, Jackson had trouble spelling the word the. He forgot <laughs> forgot to put the yet a time and time again. He mispronounced people's names and they politely tie, you know, try and correct him and then finally just just call me whatever you want, Mr. President. Well, Jackson had these old dueling wounds and from time to time they, you know, he'd start hacking up blood and you know rather than get a new piece of paper, I'm the heck with that. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to finish the letter and sign it. There's the actual Jackson documents with Jackson's bloody DNA. You're going to clone Andrew Jackson. <laughs> If you want to so, I mean, Jackson was a character. I told you the story before on his deathbed. Now they asked him general because you always called him general. You didn't call him Mr. President. It was always General Jackson. Do you have any regrets in Jackson? I have only two uh, that I didn't hang my vice president, John C. Calhoun, and that I didn't shoot Henry Clay. And Henry Clay is another guy. He's a he's a titan in his time. Uh, he's a senator from Kentucky. He's in politics for 30 years, has a whole bunch of offices. He's, he's kind of like the Buffalo Bills. Because Henry Clay runs for president three times and loses uh, all three of them, and only one of the times oh, was he close. But Henry Clay was that guy 
if he if it was announced he was going to speak in the Senate, all of Washington shut down. You know, can you imagine like you know canceling classes, calling in sick? Oh, I, I got to watch C-SPAN today. And so that's what happened. Everybody piled in, diplomats, members of the Supreme Court. Uh, if he was in the Senate, the House would shut down, and the other members would come over. And again, Henry Clay, he would he would mock if he knew you had a skeleton in your closet. Uh, he knew there were a couple of guys who were perhaps uh, homosexual, and so Clay would kind of ridicule them <laughs> on the floor uh, at the time. Uh, one of the most famous stories, when he first got into politics, there was a congressman who brought his dogs in and taught them to bark at certain times. When the dog started barking when Clay was speaking, he stepped down and kicked the dog uh, across the chamber like a football. And everybody said, all right, this, there's, there's a new guy in town. we gotta, <laughs> we got to pay attention to this. You know, Clay, would he'd walk up, he'd take somebody's tobacco, he'd start shooting, just spit it down on the floor. There was always talks of guys. He did fight a couple of duels over time. Again, he was blunt, and again, and, and the people loved it. I mean, they, again, can you imagine just saying, "No, no, no, I, I've got something bigger. I got to stay at home and watch C-SPAN today." And that's what people did uh, when Henry Clay was speaking. That's just the tip of the iceberg with that guy. But was it? I mean, was politics interesting? I mean, we're talking about C-SPAN. We're talking about twenty-four-seven yeah. news. How did people? How did the average American keep up with what was happening in their nation's government? No, and absolutely, these debates would be printed word for word verbatim in newspapers, small local newspapers, and the people ate it up. And again, if you're a politician, you'd make sure that you had somebody there to record, to transcribe your speech because you wanted the correct version uh, to get out there. And you use it as campaign material come election time. And can you imagine just sitting around and reading a four-hour speech on the tariff or public lands, something boring? But again, politics mattered to this time. You had turnout rates of around 80% in elections. And when people went to the stump, this was an all-day affair. You'd have this debate that would go back and forth. They'd serve barbecue. They'd, of course, be plenty of adult beverages as well. That's how you get the people to kind of come out. And you kind of have a little bit of from, remember old Gallivant's Ferry, uh, when you'd have the guys, uh, politicians would come out. Again, that's you'd have that all the time in early America. And for a political junkie like me, that's that's just fascinating to think about how invested the people were especially compared to nowadays when most of us maybe only have a passing age, only get interested every four years or maybe every, every couple of years if there's a congressional election. Did we have local governments? Did we have state governments? I mean, obviously, we've talked and focused on the federal government. <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the, the president saying their philosophies yeah. and their impacts they made. But at the local and state level, yeah. I mean, it, did, did we have that? Oh, no. Oh, absolutely. It was still – again, lots of individuals preferred – to serve in the state or the local government, you didn't make that much money if you went to Washington. You were a poor guy in Washington. Lots of the elite politicians, your Henry Clay's, your Daniel Webster's, they had to supplement. Uh, They had to argue cases before the Supreme Court since their congressional pay was so little. So a lot of the guys who probably would have been excellent politicians, the great thinkers, said, no, no, I'm going to stay in Columbia, right? I'm going to stay in Albany. I can serve in the state legislature. And I can also practice law at the same time uh, to, ha- to help make men's meet. Lots of guys, when they went to Washington, the bigwigs back home would sort of pass the hat around to take up an offering, a collection, just so they could entertain and play the game. Because, again, the congressional salary was so so little at the time. Who would have been the most prominent South Carolina uh, politician? Oh, the, before the Civil War, it was John C. Calhoun. He dominated South Carolina politics. It was said that when— uh, John C. Calhoun took snuff. South Carolina sneezed. 
Uh, John C. Calhoun dominated the state. Uh, he controlled the state legislature. South Carolina was the only state before the Civil War that didn't allow the people to pick presidential electors. And so you would see from time, there'd be this weird candidate, and that was a guy that John C. Calhoun liked. And so nobody really challenged him uh, from the 1820s until he dies in 1850. Uh, Calhoun ruled this state with an iron fist. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there, and then we'll take a break, sure. Josh. Scott in Florence. Good morning. You are on with Dr. Bolt. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, sir. This is, uh, uh, hello. Uh, good morning. I, yeah, I wanted to touch on a few bases, didn't want to bring the conversation back, but uh, <laughs> just uh, wanted to talk to you guys, uh, number one, about Dr. Bolt, welcome, um, about higher ed. I, I used to raise money for uh, Coastal Carolina University, and I read <laughs> in the Chronicle of Higher Ed somewhere around 2010 that um, there was going to be, uh, it used to be 10 students for every one administrator, and then uh, that ratio changed to one to one. Um, somewhere in the 80s, it was 10 to one students to one administrator, and then in uh, 2010, 2015, that was projected to be one to one. And maybe that has an effect on how these uh, universities of higher ed, um, you know, especially the more venerable ones, the Harvards, the Pens. The Ivy Leagues um, maybe view and conduct their business, and Dr. Bolt's insight on yeah. that would be real, would be fun to know. And then the <laughs> second issue is Ken, you were talking to Drew McKissick last week, and he was talking about how you know we bring these uh, uh, you know your Friday event, we bring these uh, people through the system, um, you know. And I went to law school here at USC, and I went to law school with a bunch of kids who were there to you know, become young legislators and then move their way up through the system. And here today, Tuesday, you're talking about how politics has gotten boring. And I think Drew McKissick was talking about the predictability of having those people who have learned the system, you know, since they were 20, 25 years old, and now they're 40, 45-year-old legislators, going to be federal legislators. I think some of the fun has gone out of politics by that predictability <laughs> And, you know, I'll take a uh, Andrew Jackson and, uh, <laughs> and Henry Clay any day. So I'll let you guys good talk old days, about yeah. it and mess those things exactly. And thank you so much. You thank, you. Pre- thank you. Thank you for Appreciate the call. Let's do this. Take a break. Sure. I want to come back and let Dr. Right, Bolt kind of respond to his question and, uh, and comments. And I'll do, I'll do the same. Take Thanks. a break. Back in a few. You know, one of the interesting things about the previous caller's question, we're talking about characters and unpredictability, and, and I guess Trump would be the most recent example. Um, I think we're all enamored. Uh, may, maybe we know it, maybe we don't, with these crazy personalities. I mean, it's um, I was a, I'm a big football fan. Um, I was a big Brett, Brett Favre fan. Because Favre was kind of a, somewhat of an enigma. I mean, he, he admitted he drank too much at times. He admitted the Atlanta Falcons had no choice but to trade him. Um, I mean, enormously talented, and I doubt if he had – I mean, if Brett Favre didn't have that right arm, they would have probably cut him loose because he did drink too much and booze yeah. and, you know, did some things he, he shouldn't have done. Um, but, but politics doesn't have to be boring. I mean, it really and truly doesn't. I would argue those in charge of the American political system like it to be boring and predictable, sure. and that's what yeah. freaks them out about Trump, Dr. Bolt. Yeah. No, he upsets the apple cart. And again, you, you never know 
what you're going to get. Everybody like this sort of they, they play the game. You pay the dues. You, you serve in this office. You work your way up. Here's Trump. He's an outsider. He doesn't know the playbook. He's like the Brett Favre or the Josh Allen, kind of drawing it up in the sand, in the huddles. So you, you, you do an out. You go a deep. You cover. You go this way. And Trump just kind of makes it up as he goes. If I were a staffer or advisor, I'd probably be bald to President Trump just because he's, again, he's going off script. But again, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air compared to everything we've had in the last 40, 50 years. Again, it's, it's, it's good for politics. It's, it's nice to have something who's sort of uh, that's different, and it doesn't read from the same hymnal as everybody else. What, what do you make of um, – I mean, what was the qu- – he had a direct question for oh, – about for- the, 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 the ratio in, in higher ed, right, the, yeah. the, the one-to-one, which is uh, unsettling and alarm. But I think you see that it's endemic in just what every walk of life right now. You just think the, the, how much the federal government has grown. Just in the past 10 years, it continues to grow exponentially. And to kind of go back to, to the football metaphor, if you think of just all of the coaches, the staff now that a, an NFL team has. And before, if you looked at maybe five years ago, they, when they'd pan to the booth, there'd be the offensive, the defensive coordinator, one, one assistant. Now, I mean, there's, they're on top of each other. you got 10, 15 guys with binoculars, spreadsheets, calculators, uh, walkie-talkies. Who knows what else uh, is going on? So it just, again, just everything is just getting bigger and bigger. And, who, and I don't know how you stop it once the toothpaste is out of the tube and you can't put it back in. But again, it is it is an alarming trend. What do you make of the more trouble Trump appears to be in, <laughs> the better his that's, poll that's... numbers are? I mean, I get personality and I get confrontation or or, yeah. or, or controversy, but I understand that sales. Um, what does the old media say? If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, yeah I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I get all that. I, mean, press, yeah, right? I, I understand that. But what do you make of, <laughs> I mean, on, on on the days that the courts are going to decide X and Trump's polling numbers <laughs> increase? I mean, that's that's statistically almost impossible. Uh, it's yes, it continues to baffle the mind. You think, all right, this this is it. This is the the final nail in the coffin. And again, we've we've said it before. He's like somebody from a horror movie. You, you just can't <laughs> kill the guy. He just keeps he keeps coming back. But again, I, there is something, to, to, again, we haven't seen anything like this since in Andrew Jackson that the people really, What really is feel- so similar to this? You, you studied Andrew Jackson. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what you're talking about, but go specifically what about Trump reminds you there of Andrew this, Jackson. He's, they're able to sort of tap, there's this populist rhetoric that, again, Trump and Jackson were very wealthy individuals, but yet you're poor Americans, you're working class, you're, as Jackson would say, you're greasy mechanics, you're small farmers and guys who really don't men and women who don't have much in common with a Donald Trump but yet are willing to follow him to the gates of hell and again when they see this as an attack uh, when the me- when the media when the courts go after president Trump they see it as an attack on him he's their guy nobody had really cared or talked about issues kitchen table issues in 40 years president Trump does it uh, he's talking about these issues which nobody else really cared about and what happens he's an outsider in the media, the other elites in Washington, try and cut them off. And so, again, they see this. We see this as an attack on us. We need This is somebody who is now trying to change the way we've gotten upset with the status quo. Andrew Jackson was the outsider as well, didn't really play the game, hadn't been a career politician, tried to make some changes. What happened? They went after him. They talked of impeaching him. They censured him in the end. So, again, there's lots of similarities uh, good and bad between Jackson and Trump. What? But but isn't it an indictment of the current political construct that the people have so little trust or faith in 
who's in charge, yeah. they would rather have this guy not once, but twice. Um, but, but twice. Yeah. No, I, I think it is an excellent condemnation, right, of the current set of individuals that we have right now. And you've got how many Republicans tried to, to challenge, never got off the ground, and never really in inhaling distance. And the Democrats are just kind of stuck with, with, with President Biden right now. There's nothing else they can do to get out from under him. And so you're not going to have the maybe the most— uh, People aren't going to be running to the polls in 2024. Uh, they're going to go out. They might be just casting a vote because they, well, this guy's less less of an evil in their opinion than the other guy. And it's going to be a monumental, a very, very, a lot of important upcoming decisions that who's ever in the Oval Office is going to have to decide. You're from Buffalo. I read a poll this morning from Michigan that has Trump up 10 Ooh. in Michigan. I mean, that, that would be blue collar. That would yeah. be auto workers. That would be labor unions yeah. and the, the typical, yep. Rust I mean, that, that would be reflective of Buffalo, right? You don't get more rust belt than Michigan. Yes, absolutely. I mean, so, so do you think Trump plays well? I mean, I know he doesn't win New York because no. New York City has, what, 10 or 12 yeah, million yeah. people. We understand that. But but Buffalo and, and Michigan, yeah. I mean, there, there would be similarities there. No, it, it, Trump ran very well in western New York. Uh, Erie County nearly won the county, uh, only lost it by a couple of percentage points both times. So, no, that that message resonates. Again, Buffalo is your typical Rust Belt area. It's been hit hard. It's it's trying to make a comeback. Things are on the upward trend in Buffalo right now. But, again, this is fertile ground. But, again, there's no no sense putting any resources. New York City, as New York City goes, so goes New York State. But, again, if you remember in 2020, sort of ground zero for Trump in Pennsylvania— wasn't Philadelphia. It was Western Pennsylvania. Uh, they're on the Erie area, sort of the deer hunter country. And of course, that's just 90 miles away from Buffalo. So you got a very, very, you've still got some industrials, but again, it's still very, very rural part of the country. And again, this is people like this, your workers who've had bad trade deals. Uh, the unions have collapsed. Their wages have not gone up. They've had to pay who knows how much more for health care. And here was a guy, President Trump said, we're going to change this. And, of course, right, this is a message that, which resonated with them. And the union boss doesn't necessarily speak for the union leadership. No, again, the Democratic Party sort of assumed or took for granted that they had the, the organized labor vote. And the organized labor had been with the Democratic Party since FDR in the 1930s. But it's, what have you done for me lately? All right, you always say you're going to do, but, again, our, our, our wages aren't increasing. We're not able to provide. It's, it's tough to provide for ourselves. We've got inflation problems. We're having to pay through the nose now for our health insurance. So, of course, if you've been sold, sold false promises uh, by the Democrats, for these, of course, you're going to take a look at somebody else. And, and Trump isn't your typical Wall Street. He's from Wall Street, but he's not your typical uh, Chamber of Commerce Republican. And again, he made an appeal. I, and he, the reason why he in 2016 he won is he tapped into this core constituency, your industrial workers in the Rust Belt, and it looks like they might be coming back. And it looks to me they're as intense as they've ever have they ever yeah. been. And the polls kind of reflect. He's up 10 uh, points the, the in intensity. Michigan. That, that, that's bad for Biden and the Democrats. Yeah, now, now that's a CNN poll, and, you know, trust it you as know. you choose. But that's um, it's bad news for the Democrat, good news yep. for Trump. Oh, absolutely, again. Okay. Hey, if, if that's a CNN poll, that's a CNN usually, poll. they usually don't like to do their dirty laundry <laughs> in yeah. public. Like, yeah. And if they're admitting they're downtown... That's, that's. I think the person that did the poll and released the poll to the public is no longer employed <laughs> at CNN. That's how you lose your job at CNN. Thank you, Dr. Bolton. Well said. Thanks, yeah. guys. Have a good week. And uh, we'll see him. Yeah, we'll see him before Christmas. Next week, yeah. Uh, we'll Thanks, see him next, next Tuesday. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. That's...
Bruce and the E Street Band, right? Yeah, it is. That's the magic. I guess is what we were told earlier <laughs> by uh, a very esteemed caller to our feeble attempt at radio um, brilliance. I like that better than Santa Claus is coming to town. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the album cut Christmas song that's out there and kind of popular. Uh, it gets played, but but it is is not the more mainstream hit song version of Santa Claus is coming to town that most people like. I think I read somewhere, being a Springsteen fan, I mean, it's not like Mariah Carey, but it's, why do I think it's like $2 million a year that he gets in residuals from that particular, from those two songs? Yeah, I believe it. Pick up, get a lot of, got a play and exposure, and he gets those residuals, yeah. those publisher rights. Every stuff. year. Yeah, performance rights. That'd be a pretty good gig. I know, he, he didn't write Santa Claus is coming to town. No, but I'm saying he didn't yeah. get, but, but the performance, yeah, I guess you know, the performance. Uh, you know, you know how that works better than yeah. I do. You double dip when you wrote it and you sing it. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, you get all so the money told. when you write it and you sing it. That's why the, um, when you see the number beside Dylan's name, you go like, no way. I mean, the guy's not had that much commercial success, but all of those songs of his that have been played in movies and, and television ads and whatnot. I mean, he gets. A good bit of royalties, whether he sings it yeah, or not. Come to find out when uh, Darius Rucker sings Wagon Wheel or yeah. it gets played on yeah. the radio, who gets paid? Dylan gets, um, I mean, that's his intellectual property. That's right. And he gets paid for um, having that as part of his catalog. I mean, they, well, he did. I mean, he doesn't anymore because he sold out and uh, and Bruce sold out <laughs> and took the big, took the money and went home, right? Well, they didn't take the money and went home. They took the money and went wherever it is they go mm-hmm. when you cash your check for a half billion dollars. I guess you go where you want to go exactly. when you cash a check for a half half a billion bucks. Twitter says about an hour ago that Robert Cahaley will have a new Trafalgar, New Hampshire post-debate poll um, coming up sometime today. I doubt it comes on while we're on the air. The theme of, the, of today's show, if there is a theme ever to one of these crazy shows we do every morning, it is how in the world, and Josh, I'll ask you this. How in the world can Trump's lead increase? I mean, it defies political logic. I mean, it really and truly does. Mm-hmm. In Iowa, let's use Iowa as kind of the case study. In Iowa, one candidate gets the endorsement of a popular governor. That same candidate celebrates the fact that they visited 99 counties, every county in Iowa. The same, almost simultaneously, they get the the endorsement of the preeminent evangelical leader in in all of Iowa, and they got a bump. I mean, they got a three percentage point bump. Um, they went from um, sixteen to nineteen. Haley went from seventeen to sixteen. Trump went from forty three to fifty one. What do we make of that? I mean, what what do you're younger than I? Mm-hmm. Um, what what do we make of? the intensity of the Trump support. And now I think we can say the growing Trump support. We've always believed and known. I mean, I think even the most ardent never Trumper will admit one third of the party. I mean, they're they're with him. I mean, it doesn't matter what he does. He could literally, he said it tongue in cheek. He could literally walk out in central park and shoot someone. They're not budging. I mean, they're with him, but now it appears that the universe is getting larger that the, the, the world, that the, the political, I don't know, Rev, the voters that are inclined to vote for candidate X, Y, or Z are more inclined than they've ever been to support Donald Trump. I mean, that's where we are today. I mean, it's December 12, 2023. 
Donald Trump is right now as hot a political property as he's ever been. Despite, I mean, the same day that the special counsel asked the U.S. Supreme Court to give special consideration and basically um, allow him to end around the appellate courts in bringing these voter, um, what, what it was, election interference cases in, uh, in Washington. This one's about Washington, not about, not about Georgia. I mean, I would imagine he'll probably try the same thing when it comes to Georgia, but what do we make but it's of it's about presidential immunity? Yeah, but but it's about presidential immunity and election interference. And um, Trump says, "Well, I can do anything I want to because I've got immunity." Now nah, he's not saying I'd kill someone or I can, you know, rob a bank. But he's saying in the in the unnatural laws, some of the natural laws, kind of Ten Commandment derived. Um, but the Ten Commandments don't say, "Thou shalt not interfere in elections." We got election laws to say what you can and cannot do. We got the the Constitution to dictate some of the terms and conditions of what you can and cannot do. What the point I'm trying to make is he's got all these problems. Some are bigger than others. He got, he has all this negativity. I mean, you can't turn on a television or a radio and not hear somebody despairs the Trump camp. And it's more intense than it's ever been. It's more, I mean, it's growing. It's, it's not just intensity anymore. The universe of people who want Donald Trump to be president are growing in numbers. I, I actually have uh, two theories on this. So the first one, which I think is the most likely, is that the, the economic effects of the Biden administration have trickled down so much that it's noticeable to even the, the like to everybody, where no matter how much money you make, no matter how much how homeless you are if you, or you, whether or not you have a job, you, are are feeling the effects of this economy when you go to the grocery store. The ten dollar sub yes, sandwich. When you're when you're going to get food, when you're going to get gas. So I think I think that is a big component of it. Where, you know, like they they don't think in terms of uh you know, the long term. Maybe your average person. I, I don't want to downput a whole country, but like the the average Seinfeld washer is is uh going off of what they hear. But now they're starting to feel what they've heard Republicans say for so long. The other theory, which is a little a, a little bit more conspiracy uh, conspiracy oriented, is uh, that the inflation of Donald Trump in the polls could be artificial to lull conservatives into what I think happened to Hillary in 2016, where everyone was so sure she had it in the bag. That that a lot of Democrats just didn't go vote. They didn't uh, make the trouble. I I do think that is probably not what's going on. But the fact that because it does kind of make me go like, so well, when dang, you, when what, you read, what, what is going on? So, with Trump? so when you read a CNN poll mm-hmm. that has Trump up ten in Michigan, you're like, uh, I'm skeptical of that. That makes me nervous. Right. But but you've got other polls that kind of confirm that. I mean, I've not seen a Trafalgar poll on. In other words, I do believe that CNN could easily do that. I mean, they would manipulate, they would distort it, but there's no doubt about it. They would create a false sense of security amongst the Trump universe and some of the America first voters. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I would put that past singing in for a skinny second, but would every other pollster forsake their reputation and street cred by doing that? Would Robert Cayley at Trafalgar? Now, the one thing Robert doesn't do is a lot of general election polling. I mean, Robert will tell you in a minute, I mean, he's told me this off and on the record. I'm not the guy to poll general elections. I think I do a pretty good job of finding the, the, the Republican universe and, and what they have on their mind. I think our polls reflect the sentiment of the Republican primary 
voter about as well as anybody. But but I'm not going to tell you I can do that in a in a in a general election matchup in Michigan. I mean, I would imagine he can calibrate whatever data model they use or data collecting model they use, sample sizes, um, you know, generic Republican, generic. I, I would imagine there are a lot of ways he could adjust and 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 be somewhat formidable or reputable in that in that space. But that's not his his forte. But that's not where he's made his name. Or, but 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 I'll go back to what you said. So so your point is. You're basically arguing, Josh, that I may not believe what I'm told, but I believe what I feel. The national media have told me that Bidenomics are working. My my real world experiences say it's not. Right. I mean, you know, when I watch the story of CNN, and we're talking about, I mean, I think Williams was talking about the price of gas and job creation, economic activity, GDP growth. Um, I understand what they're saying, but when I go to the grocery store. I'm prepared to spend 60, I spend 90. When I carry my family out to a casual dining restaurant, I'm prepared to spend 50, I spend, you know, 85 or 90 or 100, $100. I'm not buying what they're selling. And I do believe that, you know, despite Trump keeping everybody on edge about what he may or may not say, my, my life felt a little more attainable. The good life for me felt a little more achievable. Um, Josh, I'll ask you this. You're a young buck living by yourself, making, you know, a wage. Has it has it made it harder for you? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it, it's real, though, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's real. It's not a little bit here and there. I mean, it's you. It, it's you. Ha- you have had to make. I'll give an example. I've never done this in my life. I'm not broke, but I'm not wealthy. I've never done this in my life. I've never said to my wife, "Hey, why don't you make a big pot of chili?" Now, I'm gonna be country here for a second. You ready? And we'll eat off it all week because I'm not paying eighteen bucks to eat lunch. I'm just not doing that. I'm not going to a restaurant and the meal costs me 13, 14 and I tip another three or four. I'm not doing that. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if I won the billion dollar lottery. I'm not spending $18 every time I go sit down, uh, you know, for a cheeseburger fries and a drink. I'm just, so, so, uh, you know, that's a decision I've made now. You know what, you know what that's not good for the economy. I mean, that's not good for the restaurant owners who depend on people like me to eat three days a week. Um, so you've made fundamental, you're not in your head. Have you done this right? Of course. Absolutely. In fact, I'm in the middle of uh, trying to figure out, you know, and the conversation we had last night was because we picked up food for the last couple of nights. Like I can't keep doing this. It's can't too damn it. expensive. Got to, got to come up with a grocery list and make some stuff. That's a little more affordable. Let, let me, let me say this. And that's expensive, well, I mean, more expensive too. You, you, I mean, most of you know, I mean, I, I've, I've got a passive relationship in a restaurant. I mean, you know, and, and the reason it does well is I remain passive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I were in the middle of it, it would suck. I can assure you that. But, but you know, my, my buddy who is in the restaurant business has been in the restaurant business pretty much all of his adult life. A couple of weeks back, he's redoing his menu. And he takes the menu. And if you knew him, you know how he, he, he flips the menu to me and says, read that. And I'm going like, oh, that looks good. I mean, that looks good. And, you know, I saw you change this. And that looks good. So, no, nah, no, stop with that. Look at the price. He said, I should have somebody put me in jail for having to charge you $16 for a burger. But I, but I can't, I can't do it any other way. I mean, I've got insurance. I've got, you know, I got workers comp. I've got the price of of food is increased exponentially. I, I can't help it. I'm ashamed of the menu. I've asked my, you know, people to print up, but, but I got to do this to keep my head above water. I've got to do this to survive. And I mean, that requires people like Rev and I 
you know, going and frequenting that restaurant, uh, you know, a couple of times a week and sitting down enjoying a meal, supporting your local economy. But the majority of us are now beginning to say, ah, you know, m- m- maybe, maybe the wife makes a big bowl of chili or a big vegetable soup or, um, you know, when I left the beach yesterday, that would have been Sunday. Uh, my son had bought a lot of, um, chicken breast and he said, Hey, help me, help me smoke these, um, chicken breast on the grill. So I don't have to eat out all week. People are beginning to make really hard, uh, tangible decisions. I'm not talking about, Hey, um, I'm not letting my car run in the parking lot for the next 30 minutes because gas is 40 cent. I mean, this is real money and people are making real fundamental changes. And I think Josh's theory, I mean, the first, I like the second theory better because I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I think the first theory carries the day when you say that the public have been told Trump sucks and Biden's good. But when, when Josh goes to the grocery store, when Josh buys gas, when Josh goes to well, it's just the know, reality is in conflict. Sure, that. I mean, and, and you're and like, when it affects you, do I believe you what they're it. telling me, or, or do I believe my bank account? And ultimately, you right. believe your bank account. And maybe you're right. The word you kind of use was trickle down. I mean, the the median narrative works for a little while, and and all of a sudden, the median narrative, the rev's point, becomes in direct conflict with what I'm living, not what I feel. Forget what I feel. I mean, when that guy hands me a bill for the groceries. And it's $80. That's not what I feel. I mean, that those are real numbers. When I go to a fast food restaurant and it and it's $13.80, I mean, that's not a feeling. I mean, I, I don't feel like, wow, man, my life is getting more expensive. I mean, that's a, that's a real number. It was eight or nine dollars. Now it's thirteen or fourteen dollars. And and I said last week, and I'll stick by this. The government lets you keep roughly half of the money you earn. The government lets you keep roughly half of the money you earn. The government has devalued the one half of money you earn that they allow you to keep by about one third. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I mean, we're talking about quantitative tightening. They're taking about $60 billion a month out of circulation. They're decreasing the money supply. But I would argue they're not. Because while the Fed is quantitative tightening to try to get the M2 money supply back to some semblance of normal, and and they'll never do that. They're also, at the same time, going into debt about $2 trillion to $1.7 trillion at the federal level to fund the government. I mean, that, that's why I'm, 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 I'm saying we're in a vicious cycle when it comes to, to inflation. And I don't know. I mean, well, I got accused a second ago. Not accused, indirectly accused of being negative. You know, man, I, I, that's why I watch Seinfeld. That's why I watch Andy Griffith. That's why I enjoy sports and football. I, I can get my mind away from those. But it doesn't make those go away. I mean, it doesn't make the problems of the real world not exist. I mean, they're still there. They're still real. They're still tangible. And I think Josh is on to something. The average consumer is saying, wow, I've been told all these things, but it sure doesn't match up with my with my bank account. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. I guess this would be the worst time of the world to do what I'm about to do, but we're not the best on timing anyway, are we, Josh? <laughs> not quite. As we talk about how expensive things are yeah. and how tight money is, now's when we ask you, our listeners, to dig a little deeper. Not to help someone get elected, not to um, you know uh, change the outcome of an election, but rather provide a Christmas that, Six anonymous families never imagined was achievable 
Uh, it will be. We have identified six anonymous families. Uh, they remain anonymous, obviously, for uh, for the obvious reasons. Mentors or youth mentors of the PD, uh, the Boys and Girls Club of the PD have helped us uh, identify six families. The Rev and I had an idea several years back. Um, how could we respect the legacy of Mr. Frank Avant, who's one of the um, one of the owners of Pepsi of Florence and very supportive of what we do here at Wake Up Carolina? And I mean, he stepped up as he always did, and um, and you know whatever he could to support us, he did in the early days, and we're forever grateful to that. I refer to Mr. Avant as the most generous man I've ever known, and and I you know that's kind of a uh, wow. How how do you say that you don't know? Well, I mean. One of the most generous men I've ever known would probably be um, better to say, but Pepsi of Florence, um, Swap Payment Solutions, Anderson Brothers Bank, Walk Up Electric, Hubs Farmland, Trinity Auto Glass have all stepped up and, um, and helped sponsor this season of giving to try and provide a Christmas that these six families will never forget. In the name of Mr. Frank A. Vant, we've had some issues. I'll level with you. Um, our digital presence has not been, um, up to par. We think we've addressed, let me stop. Rev thinks he's addressed that, uh, by, by going to another company or some other, um, snafu we were having. We think we've got the bug out of the machine and I'm doing something I don't hardly do. I'm asking our listeners to make a contribution to our season of giving to help us secure the funding that we need to buy the presents that these six anonymous families and guys, they're not asking for trips around the world. I mean, they're things like frying pans and, you know, uh, space heaters, air, yeah, space heaters. Blankets. And I mean, they, they, these are very Underwear. humble people. That's right. And there's and, some uh, toys on the well, list. I mean, sure. Course, there is. Yeah. And there should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but the parents are very responsible and we want to help them. We know you do as well. We got off to a slow start because some of the uncertainty of of the um the way we were collecting funds, we believe we've got that resituated. Um, I'll defer to the Royal Rev of Radio to enlighten our listeners how you can um, help us pay tribute to Mr. Frank Avant uh, and thank Pepsi Cola and our ladies in the office here can go shopping for these six anonymous families. And, and I'll point out that uh, that our elves will call them here from the community broadcaster's office and from Pepsi. Cola of Florence, uh, they're shopping. They've been out there shopping on this list, but we we definitely need to make sure we get enough funds to cover what we're buying, if you will. And we have had a problem. It's been a, and I, I don't know if we ever figured out why, but the, the link through on the donate button from our Season of Giving webpage was not working some of the time. You'd click on it, it'd be a broken link, or it would give you a, a frowny face icon on your screen. So, therefore, you couldn't get to the donate page. So, we put our promotions department on it uh, yesterday, Jeff Lyons. He got on it, and we actually made a, uh, a, a custom URL that will take you right to the donate page. So, just go to your browser and type in pepsiseasonofgiving.com. Pepsiseasonofgiving.com. And click there, and it'll take you directly to the donate page. And it has worked every time for us uh, going through that link. So PepsiSeasonOfGiving.com, it'll take you directly to the donation page that can process your donation and uh, and help out that way. And just uh, do, do what I did. Make a bowl of chili. Don't go eat at fast food restaurants and save a 1000 bucks a week. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can make a, a, a you're, thousand. You're almost stretching well, I mean, but But I want to go back to Josh because this is important to me. So, so Josh is beginning his work life. Um, I mean, I remember well. 
uh, it's a struggle. I mean, it is. It's intimidating. It's frustrating. It's discouraging at times. And I got to believe that, I mean, I, I was thinking about when I was young and, and when I made some of these early decisions. I mean, I got married. I mean, obviously you take on, I mean, I, I remember my dad would give me opportunities to work a little overtime and make a little extra money. And I would pass until I got married. And when I got married, I would seek those opportunities. I, I would I would solicit opportunities. I would go to my dad and say, hey, is there anything I can do tonight? I mean, I need an extra hundred bucks. And I can remember making an extra hundred dollars and believing, oh, I, I'm okay. I mean, we can do what we want to do this week or the next. A hundred dollars, I mean, that gets you out of the parking lot hardly. But Josh, explain in your words the frustration or, or the or not the anger, I mean the, the resentment you have about the cost of things in contrast with what someone starting a work life is allowed to make. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, growing up in America and like the early two thousands, there's this, there's this sort of expectation of how life would go, how life was supposed to be. And, you know, a lot of people my age at that time weren't really interested in politics. Um, and, and frankly, I wasn't very interested either until Trump came on the scene but it it's kind of jump-started this awareness where now you're realizing, like, the world uh, isn't static. It It is constantly changing. It's fluctuating. And this kind of uh, comfortability that that I grew up in seems to be going away. And, you know, people like me, uh, you know, who is especially conservative-minded people, they're starting to realize, like, look, I'm a good— tax-paying citizen. I, I do. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything they told me to do. And those same, the same they is giving all my money away to people that aren't citizens. They're putting me, they're putting immigrants fresh over the border in hotel rooms that I never dreamed I'd be able to afford to stay in. And, and especially now, you know, and so maybe your average person isn't, quite aware of that is like maybe I am but they're they're feeling it at the grocery store when they're buying deli meat and bread but I'm not asking Rev and I'm not asking if Josh or his generation because nobody's familiar I mean if you went to the man on the street and said hey you know what things cost so much they increased the M2 money supply from you know 15 trillion to 22 trillion and it's not all Biden I mean you know Biden I think is 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 um I mean, Biden's, Biden's guilty of passing a budget that spends about $1.7 trillion that we don't have. That's what you should be angry about, well, I mean, is that the, you know this is self-inflicted in a way. Well, I, mean, it, I mean, these are decisions sure, that were exactly. made by but, people in Washington. But the majority of Americans don't understand. I mean, if you walked up to Americans and said, hey, did you read Milton Friedman's book about inflation as a byproduct of government spending? No, no, I didn't. I'm watching Seinfeld. Leave me alone. Uh, I'm watching the Gamecocks and Tigers play basketball. They seem to be okay at basketball. You know, those women have a good team. Clemson won the the soccer championship. Kind of interesting. My Clemson fans don't care about anything. Um, I mean, you know, women's basketball is incidental. It's a minor sport. Nobody cares. But soccer, damn. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's selective processing is what it is. Anyway, I get it. I mean, I understand it. Soccer doesn't mean anything to us. Women's basketball um, does. You play the hand that you're dealt. But, no, I want to go because I think this is important. So, Josh, how can we make your generation aware? And I'm not saying, hey, let's all have a, you know, a, a class or session or seminar on M2 money supply. I'm not arguing that. 
But Josh, how can we, how can someone like me who understands to some degree why inflation is so rampant, how can I better educate young people to make them believe how important it is to invest some energy and effort in the body politic and, 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 you know, vote accordingly. Um, but you know, as well as I do that, that the talk radio demo is not, right. you know, uh, under the age of 30, I mean, they're just not, but I mean, they're, you know, they're watching the, um, uh, the Kansas city Taylor Swift play, you know, and, and I mean that tongue in cheek, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean she's Swift's. a bigger deal than they are, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I mean, funny. Here's Taylor, the, the, the Kansas okay. City Chiefs, they tend to play football games where Taylor Swift shows up. Right. I mean, she's a much bigger deal than the Kansas City Chiefs are. Afraid so. But you see where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what bothers me. I mean, it drives me. That's where I feel like a failure. That's where I can relate to Limbaugh. I mean, I've got a captive audience in my three kids. Uh, somewhat captive. I mean, it's not as captive as, as it once was. But I've got three kids. And I can, I mean, I can force my views I can't force my values. I mean, they make their own decisions, but they're going to understand how politics affects their lives. I'm not saying they're going to react accordingly, but they're going to have an understanding more than most because their father was in politics and he hosts a, a radio show and he talks about these things in their in their presence. But but how can we how can we press upon young people that the the reason because I'll tell you this, I don't know that young people understand some of the complexities of inside baseball, but they understand what a meal cost, what gas cost, what a trip to the grocery store costs, what, what a week at the beach cost. Do they know who to blame Josh? Do they know who's responsible for, for, for convince, for, for leading them down the road of being more discouraged than most generations before them? Um, I don't think so, but I think what has to be done is this. I think, Eventually, because they're not asking those questions now. Maybe more and more are starting to, but as a are whole. Are more and more starting to. I, I you think, said maybe more and more. Are more and more starting to ask those sorts of questions? It might be a very small percentage, but I do think that, you know, as things are getting worse at the grocery store, at the gas pump, people people are taking notice of that. And I do think that, and I've said this multiple times on the show, I think things have to get worse so that they can get better instead of like, okay, things are really bad now. Let's put a temporary bandaid on it to ease the suffering at this moment in time. Then that just prolongs, you know, the, the people that are causing this, you know, being there because then they can't be blamed for it. Well, look, we did this. We, we, we fixed it. So I think that as much as it's going to suck, things do, and I'm not saying let it happen, but the people in charge are in charge and there's nothing you and I can do about it. They're going to screw it up. And when they do, the best thing we can do is be there to say, hey, they're blaming it on this. They're blaming it on that. But look what he did in 2008. Look what he did in 2016. It's his fault and he and or her fault or whoever's and they're shifting the blame. Don't let them do this again. And then I think at that point, once people start to realize it's like. They're telling me Bidenomics is the greatest thing ever, but clearly that's not true. They'll start to look for other people. And to me, that would be offensive. I mean, if I'm telling you that things are good and things are great and things are working and, and you're a young person, you're like, no, <laughs> you I mean, know, you know, better. Yeah. I mean, I know better, but there, there's no way these things are working. There's no way I, bu- I believe this happens, Josh, and, and it will take a break. <laughs> Excuse me. I think that young voters dislike Trump's approach to politics as much as they ever have 
but they think he did a better job of running the country. And, and I think whether it's, I mean, that tr- Trump increased inflation. I mean, let's be candid. I mean, Donald Trump was not a spendthrift. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. But the guy in the White House is the guy that gets the blame or the, he's a little bit like the starting quarterback. But he gets more blame than he deserves, more credit than he deserves. But I think there are a lot of young Americans today that find Trump narcissistic and bombastic and irreverent. And I mean, that's not going to change. He's going to be that. But I think young people are making a determination now. I'll put up with that if somebody can do something about this $10 sub sandwich and this $80 grocery bill and this, you know, um, I mean, housing has never been more unaffordable than it is today. We've kept track since about 1976, some housing affordability chart. It's housing in America today. Housing is the right owning a home, American dream. Housing has never been so unattainable for as many Americans as it is today. I mean, that, that's regressing. I mean, that's not prospering. That's not, you know, creating a better economy with more opportunity. That's creating more difficulties, more complexities. And sooner or later, the American people, young people in particular, going, wow. I mean, did I, did, did I bring all this on myself or am I kind of um, caught in the crosshairs of the, 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 this, this political debate, liberal government, big government, you know, a lot of spending, small government, less spending, more fiscal restraint. Maybe it does, as Josh says, maybe it does breed a generation of younger conservatives. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, in crazy times, crazy people aren't anywhere near as crazy as you think they are. <laughs> Um, go back to the New York City Council race or the mayor's race. The rent's too damn high. I mean, he was a nut. I mean, he was lampooned on national media, you know, story after story. But but in all honesty, how prophetic was he? He was right. When he said those things, the rent is too damn high. Things cost too much right now, and they're going to blame somebody. I mean, the, the, the consumer slash voter are going to find a boogeyman. We always have, we always will, and maybe Josh is right. M- maybe that trickle down, the, the, the time lapse between, you know, being told one thing and living the reality and understanding, well, I mean, you, you know, you say Trump's crazy. You say Trump was irreverent. You say Trump was out of control. But I'm telling you, man, things felt different when he was in the White House. I believe that's why he's going to be president Again, in 2024, you can't escape reality. I mean, you can disguise it. And, and there, there are going to be a lot of forces that try to basically convince you to, to not believe your lying eyes, so to speak. I just think reality is so pervasive today that Trump wins in 2024. And I'll add this, and I'll, I'll just say this, and I, you know, when people tell you, oh, I know, I've talked to all these people, and they tell me X, and then you think that's the way the world is. And I will, I will say, though, just honestly, a, a sample of a couple of people I've talked to about politics that were absolutely not Trump fans. In fact, despised him when he ran for president the first time and was president the first time who have now told me I am absolutely voting for him this time. The, the, the best anecdote I have, and I've told this story, I'm at the Murphy's convenience store in the Walmart parking lot in Conway getting gas on my way to the beach and a, and a black guy walks out with a Gamecock shirt on. Well, that gives me a reason to kind of, um, you know, just strike up a conversation. It is, it's really show prep is what it is. So the black guy walks to the pump beside me, and I says, um, I said something about the Gamecocks. Same old Gamecocks. Yeah, same old Gamecocks. And then I said, well, I mean, he's, he's you know, he's interested in talking now. He's made a mistake. As my wife said, you made a mistake. Um, you, you agreed to 
start a conversation. <laughs> no telling where this goes. Um, so I'm pumping gas. He's pumping gas. And, you know, we, we go from the Gamecocks to, man, this gas is expensive. Yes, expenses. About to kill me, man. Um, and then that leads to the next. And I said, um, I don't know, man. I know he's a little bit crazy, but it seems like things were better when Trump was president. And he said in a nanosecond, I know I had more money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I know I had See, more money in my pocket. That's reality. That, that's reality. That's not CNN. That's not Fox. That's not MSNBC. That That is two dudes at a gas pump sharing Gamecock and then gas and then presidential politics. And he was part of show prep. Obviously, we just told the story yep. over the air. Go. Let's go to the phone. Richard in Florence. Hi, Richard. Good morning. Uh, speaking of things costing too much, um, <clears throat> have you heard about the city of Florence is to pass this credit debit card and e-check fees to customers beginning next first of the year here? Um you know, uh, I'm watching my mother. She's on the, she's retired on the limited income, and uh, <clears throat> I know these costs. You know, for water and uh, city services are really starting to put a hurt on her pocketbook. And um, I thought you guys advertised um, a company here in Florence, a local company that handles. Um, uh, processing uh credit card and e checks. I mean, where is this money going? D- does anybody know? And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate that. I'll find out more. I'd heard somebody ask me over the weekend, sent me a text about the city and some sort of processing fee. Um, I, I don't know, don't want to answer. I can't answer with any clarity at all, but I'll try to find out what I can in the next couple of days to get back and, um, uh, you know, I talk to people in the housing market. They're, they're concerned about the inflation, the asset inflation in housing, and and along with that comes property tax increases, and along with that comes uh, property and casualty insurance increases. Um, I mean, our good friend Breeze believes all this is intentional. I mean, it's basically to break the consumer's back so they will kind of wave the white flag and say, okay, I give up. No more capitalism for me. Put me in some sort of government housing. Give me a government stop, and I'll keep my mouth shut. Um, keep me fed, keep me warm, keep me, keep a roof over my head. And if I've got to, uh, you know, vote for an eternal dictator, then I'll, then I'll do that. Um, I mean, I don't know that we've gone to that extreme, but you do have to kind of scratch your head and say, wow, I mean, everything they do in Washington seems to make our lives more, um, expensive. What we want to do more expensive. Let's continue this debate tomorrow. Enjoy your day.